welcome to the Deadly Analysis Podcast, and this is Doug Goat Podcast, the Deadly Analysis greatest of all time. We have taken, this is a podcast that is 64 months, 64 weeks in the making, um, almost 64 months because we've taken some time off, uh, but we have taken every film that we have done on the Deadly Analysis podcast. You can see all of the videos on our channel, and every single one of them has been put into a bracket, seated based upon our ending ratings. At the end of the show, we rate all the films, and it's seated based upon all of those, and this is the final tournament where we put every single one of them against each other. Now, I'm excited. Uh, I, I think I pitched this to Noah about uh, a year and a half ago. And uh, so this is a year and a half in the making for me, um, partially based upon when Cinema Sins was doing its uh, best of the film years that they've been alive. So we've, we've adapted that. We've turned it into a more of a competitive format. And I'll go through the rules in a second. Uh, but first, I want to go around to each of the podcasters and what is one what is one film that is your champion the film that you want to see go all of the way we'll go in our uh first voting order noah what's the film you want to see go all the way well first off i just want to say i can't wait for the lobster to win because uh <laughs> that's that's clearly going to be it it's going to be lobster versus martyrs as the final <laughs> two is are going to be i feel like that may just happen um the one that I want to see, I think, make it the most is It Follows. Um, it Follows was sort of the movie that, like, made me want to start this podcast, um, gave me the sort of springboard in my head to think about, um, let's talk about horror movies and let's talk about good horror movies and and the difference between enjoying them and appreciating them. And let's hop into, you know, the wonderful topics of death and existential struggle and all the cerebral bullshit that we've been talking about the last couple of years, kind of working out our stuff. I had a real like existential panic when I saw It Follows and I thought, man, I can't be the only person who's felt this way in a horror movie. Um, and I've seen a lot of horror movies. I mean, many horror movies before it follows. Like one of my, I saw Chucky in 93 when I was like a kid, you know, I, I've grown up on eighties horror. So this left a very different feel in my mouth, this sort of elevated horror uh, genre that's kind of had a resurgence. Um, so I'd probably say it follows, um, maybe the witch it follows in the witch. But I'm going to go with it follows. That's my, that's my de goat. That's your, uh, for that's your champion. What about you, Ben? What's your champion? I don't think it's going to be any surprise because really there's only one film that I've seen in my entire life that I think sort of elevates itself to the level of true art or maybe even beyond that or maybe just good art. I don't really think of it as a movie that I would go and see in the theater. It's an experience. Uh, it's a mirror and a window into the soul. And of course, that's going to be the seventh seal. Uh, the experience that I had watching that, no, of course, I think it's it's going to be easy to sort of defend Ingmar Bergman as a director um, and his proficiency with his techniques and the quality of his actors. Um it is an older movie, but I think it stands up to the test of time. And just beyond that, though, I think what it pulls out of me in its long discussions of divine absence and uh, just contemplation of death and really the experience of sort of being kind of like this one individual walking through this entire story while all of these things happen around you and you wonder why and you sort of struggle through that and struggle with that um, ultimately encapsulated in the, with a wonderful analogy of playing a game of chess with the Grim Reaper. Um, I don't know. There's something about it that really just, I think, transcends all other films that I've ever seen. And so that's the one that unequivocally I would think would be the champion, although I'm pretty sure that it's not going to make it that far. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Shero, what about you? What's your champion? So 
I mean, this is probably not a surprise to you guys either, um, just because of how much I, I've talked about loving this film for years. Um, it's Come and See, and it is a Russian war film that talks about an actual thing that occurred using actual events from people's writing about a situation. There's a very important scene. It's probably the most horrific and most powerful scene I've ever seen in a film where you have uh, this boy and a whole town of people round up in a barn and Nazis are, are firing into the building and, and, you know, lighted on fire and people are screaming. The boy escapes through a window and you have Nazis putting a gun to his head and posing for a picture and then they don't shoot him and walk away and he collapses in absolute horror as to what he experienced. And that's just one part of the horror this kid endures throughout the entirety of the film. It really hit me and it's hard to hit me that way. I, I become kind of numb to a lot of stuff. So uh, something affecting me to that magnitude it, it, it makes it stand out and uh, it, it definitely scared the crap out of me. So I, that has to be at the top. And uh, for me, it's probably going to be Annihilation, but uh, we'll get to all of those reasons once we fight. Um, so what are the rules of combat? Well, if a film wins by a 4-0 margin, it moves on with little discussion. If a f the initial vote is 3-1, to one, the one proponent of the film gets one minute to argue for the film's merits. At the end of that minute, you will hear an alarm go off on my phone. And if no vote is changed, the film with the majority moves on. However, if one vote changes and it is a 2-2 vote, or if the initial vote is 2-2, a representative is chosen from each team and a five-minute argument ensues. If no vote is changed, then the coin app on Jim's phone decides which film moves on. Each person, however, gets one shenanigans, causing a reflip of the coin. So if any of your champions lose on a coin flip, you can call shenanigans, and I will flip the coin again, and we will see what moves on. Yes, you can shenanigans another shenanigans if you want to, causing a possible three flips of the coin. Uh, all of us will have to be, there's some strategy here. We'll have to like pay attention to when we're gonna use our shenanigans um, and on what film we, we wanna see go into the final four. We'll keep this going all through October. This is a great way to celebrate Halloween. So uh, with no further ado, Let's start with our first matchup of the evening. Event Horizon, a film about a group of astronauts who travel to respond to a distress signal and uh, they encounter a Lovecraftian horror when they get there. Goes up against Martyrs, a film about a cult that likes to kill women because when they die, they die pretty and that must mean that they know something about the afterlife. So, initial vote, Noah. What do you check? What do you pick? Well, first off, I want to say if if there's three shenanigans at that point, time just collapses because <laughs> like keeping up with all of this is, is insane. We we clearly thought about this quite a bit. Each um, person gets one shenanigans, only yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, and if three are used, we just if podcast ends, everyone dies, time collapses in on itself. Um, so I uh, I mean, so it's interesting about I mean, clearly to me, to me. Event Horizon is by far the winner. What's interesting about Event Horizon and Martyrs, though, is both of them seek to give 
a sneak peek, as it were, into the beyond, right? So in Martyrs, there's a sneak peek into the raw afterlife. What is it? What's out there after we die? And in Event Horizon, it's what's beyond the universe, like what's other and outside the known universe, right? So there's the sense in which both of these movies aim for similar endeavors. They aim for the beyond, um, I just think it's executed so much better in Event Horizon. Event Horizon is also a tricky movie in the sense that a lot of people went to go see it thinking they were going to go see just a normal sci-fi film. And they left just fucking brutalized by what they saw with like pipe sodomy and shit. I mean, and Mar one thing I will give to Martyrs though, man, is Martyrs is, a br is also an insanely brutal film. We shit on Martyrs because the payoff in Martyrs was terrible. I think all of us will agree with that. But um, the brutality in it is um, is a different caliber also, con considering some of the films that we've covered. But just overall, I think the reach of Event Horizon, the scope of it, um, the Lovecraftian element, the trying to understand what the monster is, that part of it is so much more interesting to me and executed so much better than is there an afterlife? And I think they're both fundamental questions. I just think it's 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 better executed in Event Horizon. It's it's a uh, and and I won't say that for every sci-fi film. I won't say that for every sci-fi film, but uh, definitely for this one, the sci-fi element wins. So yeah, Ben, Event Horizon or Martyrs? Yeah, I, I think for a lot of the reasons that Noah mentioned, honestly, I mean, conceptually speaking, the way that Event Horizon sort of approaches the question of the beyond is more interesting because I mean, the question for me in Martyrs is is somewhat at least settled. Or it, I don't know, like it really connects less. Um, not to mention all of the other reasons why Martyrs was a little bit disappointing. I think this one obviously just has to go to Event Horizon. Shaver? Yeah, uh, I, I loved a lot of the brutal elements of Martyrs. I liked a lot of the blood and guts, but I did also watch the original OG uh, versions of things. Like, I, I watched other stuff that had to do with Martyrs. It, it made me appreciate what it was trying to do, um, but it... it just cannot match the awesomeness of space monster like the the oh god when they're in that room and and, and you can view what what is happening to them oh my god that really messed me up like i did not like that at all and i still think of that scene and freak out so i i don't know it has to go to event horizon even though i do like brutality and blood and guts and and all that stuff and Martyrs did a good job of those special effects. It's got to go to Event Horizon. And Event Horizon wins by a 4-0 margin. Okay, moving on to A Dark Song versus Sunshine. A Dark Song, a film about a woman who's sad and goes through a uh, cult ritual. And Sunshine, a Philosophy 101 class interrupted by a monster movie. What do you say, uh, Noah? Dark song oh, or oh god, this is this is hard. The second one, this one, this was the one I was struggling with. This is really hard for me. Um, shit, <laughs> I don't. I'm not 100 sure even now. So let me. Okay, the 30 second talk myself through it. A dark song has redemptive elements. Um, it has a very deep struggle that's beyond the self. I feel like the struggle going on in Sunshine, well, you could classify that as being beyond the self because they're trying to save humanity. So fuck me. That argument doesn't work, Noah. Try again. Um, I feel like in, in Sunshine, there is this expansive, <laughs> expansive sort of, I, I made Jim choke. He's dying now. That's how good my argument <laughs> was for Sunshine. But no, in, in Sunshine, there's this expansive element of reaching beyond, similar to Event Horizon. But I think the inevitability of death in Sunshine is a different sort of monster than how far one is willing to go internally, externally 
to to forgive and two very different stories, man, with two very different types of monsters. Damn. Um, If I had to pick like my visceral gut tells me a dark song. Um, But damn, Sunshine is such a good movie. Um, I'm going to give it to a dark song. I'm just going to let that sit before I'm going to mute my mic before I start arguing with myself. It's a dark song for me. Ben. So I also really enjoyed Dark Song. Um, definitely a really good pick, uh, especially just not necessarily even seeing that in theaters, obviously. I think it was just like a Netflix-only thing, right? So just seeing that on Netflix, picking that up is something you don't necessarily expect much out of. It turned out to be pretty good, but I don't know. I think it's going to have to be Sunshine for me, even though we got this weird sort of split, and I really don't like the incoherence when you have like one storyline that seems to be making sense, and then you've got, ah, a monster now. Um, and I kind of think that was only thrown in there just for the people that didn't necessarily get the horror of the movie leading up to that point. But still, um, I don't know. Maybe I just like space. But for me, yeah, it's going to be Sunshine. Shayra? I feel like space is going to keep winning. It's weird. Um, no, I. so they both kind of end weirdly right it's both of them are like what the fuck did just happen to me god damn it and so that i think is what makes it really hard for me because even though they're vastly different uh they have similar themes and they both end so weirdly that you don't even know what happened to you and i kind of like a movie that does that because it takes you down this weird trail and then you're like what just what um and this is also a hard one for me and I knew it was going to be hard and, and I even already made a decision on it and now I'm like torn. Um, I'm going to go with a dark song on this just because it had quite a, a an awesome ride up to the weirdness uh, that I appreciated. Uh, we'll see where this takes us. <laughs> I'm going with a dark song as well. So that means that Ben, you have one minute to convince a person to go over to your side. Minute starts now. Well, I think the interesting thing about Sunshine and, and really just sort of like space in general is that it allows you to start thinking deeply about the expansiveness in the void. Uh, space in and of itself is a really interesting analogy for the void. And if we start thinking about that in sort of a Nietzschean way, it allows for a deeper contemplation of lots of different kinds of questions. Um, the, the Dark Song, like obviously that's going to be a really interesting film because I really dig the folk kind of stuff and the magic kind of stuff, obviously because I really enjoyed The Witch and Hagazusa. But when we're talking about pure philosophy and deep thinking and themes that really sort of stick out to you and sort of pull at your soul, Sunshine is the one that's going to do it for me. It's not even because of like the crazy monster at the end. That's really just sort of like a, a stain, I think, on an otherwise really fantastic film. Not to mention the musical score really just sort of pulls at me emotionally in Sunshine. Uh, overall, I think when we're just thinking about it comprehensively, that's uh, it seems like an obvious choice to me. So did anyone change their vote? Oh, God, I'm so close. But <sighs> yeah, he had, me, he had me at the score. Like, yeah, the score, and then... It was fantastic, and I forgot about the score. I don't know how I forgot about the score. Mm-hmm. So I listen the score, to it all the time. <laughs> but the sco- I do, too. I do, too. It's on my playlist, but the that score That was a really doesn't... good argument for that movie. Yeah. Oh, but, but the score doesn't make up for the ad hoc fucking just destruction of an ending. Like, That's absolutely true, to... but I mean, whenever you think about a, a movie, there's many different parts to a movie. It's not just the story, it's not just the writing, it's not just the, what you see, it's also going to be what you hear, and then just like the gestalt of all of those things coming together. But okay, but so Sunshine has an, it has an iconic soundtrack, but like that's one of the things I liked about A Dark Song. We don't recall it because it's not as iconic, but A Dark Song had great music, had great violin, had uh, uh, good use of cello in it. It was very, it was, it was also great. It wasn't as well-known or iconic or as epic 
um, as Sunshine, but it also had good music too. I just, ah, it comes down to the forgiveness. I don't think I, I love Sunshine. Love that movie. I can't change my vote. I got to keep it a dark song. I can't, I'm muting my mic or I'm going to change my damn mind. All right. Dark song moves on. Defeating a worthy challenge by Ben. I was almost close to changing my vote as well. I mean, yeah, I, I, uh, still, I still may an hour from now. So this, fuck, uh, man, which I know yeah, we can't that was, do. That was uh, but, a yeah. really tough second second fight. And uh, we're going with another really tough second fight. We've got Jaws, one of the most iconic films of all time. Steven Spielberg's horror film that, that remade the blockbuster versus A House That Jack Built, a movie about Matt Dillon building a house of dead people. Um, so, Noah, what do we say? Jaws or House That Jack Built? Now, we could say that Jaws also built a house of dead people. He just ate that house. Like, it's inside him. Um, Jaws. 100% Jaws. Uh, just scarier all around. Um, I, I'm not going to rely on the fact that it's a more iconic film. I hate that shit. But, I, you know, just because it's older and it's produced, you know, cultural change, that has some weight to me. But it, it doesn't have that much weight. Maybe it does for you guys. Um but uh, it's just a scarier movie overall. It made me scared to death of the ocean. I'm still, I, every time I look out, I, I'm born and raised in California. Every time I look out over the ocean, I just think, what the fuck is in there now? After seeing Jaws, I just, it's this expanse, almost like space of liquid that you just want to say no to. And part of the reason I think I want to say no to it is like understanding some of the shit in there. Obviously, great whites aren't like the things that kill most people in the ocean, but you know, that there's this fucking Michael Myers of the sea just chomping away, like, naturally. That's horrifying. Scary. House of Jack built was weird and Lars von Trier working out his shit. Like, I mean, it wasn't bad. It was kind of an interesting movie, but I, Jaws was just way more scarier. Jaws, 100%. Ben, House of Jack built was your movie. Yeah, that's true. And in fact, whenever we go back to our scores, I think I gave both of these a similar score. They might both have 4.5 for me, actually. So this is going to be a little bit tough, and I, I like them for very different reasons. I don't necessarily think that Jaws scared me, but I do remember it being just fantastically well-built, um, as a credit to Steven Spielberg, of course. Now, that almost sort of acts as a, a deterrent for me in voting for this, just because it's too popular. It's something that, you know, too many things have been drawn from in terms of pop culture with regard to movies, right? Um... I mean, the, the draw for me is definitely not that it makes me scared of the ocean. In fact, if anything, I really liked more of the analogies thinking about it's sort of like overlap that it has a little bit with um, with uh, like Moby Dick type stuff or like maybe even just the conversations like the dialogue was super good in this film. That kind of thing really draws me to Jaws um, with House that Jack built. I do think we have something incredibly unique. I personally, and I understand that not everyone enjoys Lars von Trier's work, and obviously he's going to be a little bit more controversial as a person than Steven Spielberg, um, but I think that the stuff that he creates is just so uniquely interesting and good, especially within just like this horrific kind of creepy sort of genre that he has, and I don't even necessarily know that everything that I think that I like of his that's super creepy would be considered horror, and I'm thinking about things like Nymphomaniac, which is also really creepy and good, but not necessarily a horror. Um, there's no one quite like him in the things that he makes, and House That Jack Built is a fantastic example of that. So whenever I really think about which one I want to move on, um, I kind of want to vote for House That Jack Built just because it's so unique. Um, and we have, there's only one Jaws, Really? I mean, when you think about it, like, obviously, there's only one Jaws. Um, but there are lots of things that sort of derive from Jaws. But I don't think there's ever going to be a derivative work 
that references house that Jack built. It's sort of like a standalone thing, not to mention like how, how many movies do you have that really sort of draw from this sort of um, Dante's Inferno esque style thing and kind of like try and make that analogy and in a framework for something like a serial killer movie. I mean, how, how many of those do you think we actually have in the genre or even globally? So yeah, fuck it. Like, I'm just going to vote for that one. I think it's going to be house that Jack built for me. Shaver. So Jaws, uh, I've always found comical. Um, I love it. It it is so fun, and I love it. But it's it's actually really comical to me, and um, it's mainly because my best friend is very very much afraid of sharks because of it. So it's become a kind of gag for me, and I almost wonder if it's kind of ruined it because like there's no fear inducing moments. Although I really love the way that he builds suspense and the the visuals, the uh, closing up on the face and then everything behind you gets all kind of crazy. Um, it, iconic cinematography and iconic music. It Jaws really, really pushes it forward. And honestly, I did rate it very high. I actually rated it higher than the house that Jack built. But the house Jack built left a stone in my shoe and it fucked me up real bad that house of people in the freezer and going through hell and the the imagery from paintings that i've seen the way that he was killing those women it was like whoa this is really really messed up stuff and it did frighten me a lot um and it was very artistic and very uh, messed up i it's so hard to compare these two because they're really different to me <laughs> they're just so different like how do you compare them um but uh, it's so hard (laughs) well the stone in your shoe is a metric i mean that's a great that's a great yeah it is to go by um yeah i feel like one is super nostalgic and the other is a stone and so you know i'll go stone i i think i'm gonna go stone for this one and and house that jack built it wow wow all right and wow. so I think we're gonna about to have a, a fucking. We're gonna <laughs> we're have a fuck down here. Um. So Noah, you and I are on Jaws. Ben and Shayra are on House Than Jack Built. Uh, we have to choose a fighter. Uh, Noah, do you want to take this this one, or do you want me to? No, I'm gonna let you take this. All right. Uh, who's the fighter from the House of the Jack Built? I'll take this one since it was my movie. Um, if All that's right. okay. I'll I was take. gonna say he should defend yeah. his movie. That'll be good. Five-minute argument starts now. Okay, you admitted yourself that this was just Lars von Trier working out his shit, okay? This is a a subjective movie about an individual person trying to publicly atone for his sins, which he should go see a therapist, not make a fucking movie. And the film stinks of that self-indulgent bullshit. Um, There are moments in House Than Jack Built that are just for von Trier. They are not... They do not rise to the the level that Jaws does. Jaws is universal because we all look at the ocean and we wonder what is in there. It is an unexplored final frontier. It is not just one man's individual exploration of his damaged psyche. House the Jack built, built is self-indulgent. Jaws is iconic. And you can't possibly say that Jaws would fall to just some guy's uh, individual 
mutual bullshit. Jaws... No, actually, I do think that. Not to not to like step all over what you've just said. But honestly, Noah was the one who said the thing that you were just mentioning. So if you're going to have a debate, and if you're really going to engage honestly and seriously, make sure you uh, line up who actually says the thing that you're arguing against. Because right now you're sort of strawmanning me, and that's your entire argument is just sort of like a fallacy at this point. It's not so, a fallacy. I yeah, no, it is because Noah's I didn't. I didn't say that. I didn't John. say that this is Lars von Trier working out his shit. That was what Noah said. I did not say that. So that's you're not right, the argument that we're having. It's, Everything it's, that you said so far is just completely irrelevant. But I mean, if we do want to address that, I completely disagree because every great work of art throughout entire the throughout everything, all of our history has been interesting artists depicting the way that they uniquely see the world. And like, whenever I think about this, I think about Van Gogh, who is clearly having mental issues and, and sort of like this decline of his sanity and his stability, coming up with some of the best visual art that the world has to offer, just because of that unique sort of perspective that he puts out there, because it is uniquely his own. And we all benefit from that. And we all enjoy that. But again, that's yes, not necessarily what's going on in this film. About Van Gogh, and there's nothing transcendent about House That Jack Built. Yeah, I disagree. There's just because no moment in House That Jack Built that rises to a a, tr a universal it's it is stuck inside the person no, jaws however you have the three main characters that represent three different sides of masculinity you have quint who's the balls you've got uh roy scheider's character who is the head the compassion and you have richard dreyfus's character who is the head the intellect and these three characters are what's necessary it's the combined with of these three characters that's necessary to fight the unknown. This isn't just brilliant cinematography, which I think Jaws has uh, House the Jack built in cinematography by spades, but it's also brilliant characterization and characterization that rises to transcendent universal levels, not just stuck inside the, uh, the, the psyche of a damaged filmmaker. No, I mean, I think this is definitely a subjective thing on your part. And in general, of course, because like what, what you're looking at, of course, is going to be the saying. technique. You might not be a person who really appreciates grotesque art, in which case I might disagree with your participation in horror debates, honestly. I mean, if you really what? don't appreciate grotesque art, then I would say that your ability to interpret to this kind of medium is a little bit in question. You go from a discussion of art to an ad hominem debate questioning my ability to talk about... No, art. no, it's it's relevant experience. I mean, oh, if we're talking about art as a medium, that subjective, there's, there's that stone in the shoe quality as a metric right and if that's not something that really just sort of shows up for you and in, in viewing grotesque art you know that's something to really question but if we're talking about frameworks if we're talking about if we're talking about interesting frameworks i mean like as i mentioned earlier this is largely going to be based on uh the divine comedy and so like yes there are three interesting archetypes that we have in the jaws movie but within this we have something far more interesting whenever we think about a descent into darkness that the main character is not able to escape from if i might add so there really is no bright light at the end of the tunnel for this which i think makes it more of a classic horror than jaws is because there is at least a little bit of ray of sunshine at the end because not everybody dies they end up getting the shark it's it's, it's really kind of like more of a it's more of a comedy honestly. in jaws you just have to get out of the water you well, just have to get out of the water but they can't get out of the water because it, they're but they, they do they deliberately set it up where it is they must fight the shark like that is set up in the movie I, yes i understand no what are you doing arguing against my movie <laughs> our movie you motherfucker <laughs> but the point is is that i think that uh, that you are reading too much into house the jack built i think you are taking a subjective experience that you have and glomming it onto a film and so in that sense my subjectivity outright outweighs your subjectivity 
activity because I was at least willing to give an iconic. Ah, there it is. I was going to ask where the five minutes was. All right. Ooh, Did anyone's ooh, vote change? Ooh. Look, first off, let me just say I'm so happy right now. I that <laughs> I'm so happy. This has already turned out to be my favorite video we've ever done. Straw man ad hominem. I I am I am about I I'm literally all I'm like halfway to an erection. You guys are amazing. Um, so I uh, I'm changing my vote. I think that house that Jack built is going to win, and let me tell you why. I'm going to tell you why. Um, I think that I think that it speaks to me more heavily. The idea that first off, every horror movie that we all like, I mean, for the most part, is someone working out their shit, and it's us working out our shit through that movie. So to devalue that by by saying it's grotesque or it's just someone being egocentric, or, or just someone <laughs> being egocentric. You know, hey, you know what? Here, look, man. I, if it comes down to uh, an iconic movie being shit all over for a really trashy movie that just nobody liked, I don't give a fuck as long as you can argue for it. And that was a damn good set of arguments from, from both of you. But I think what makes me change my vote is I place more value. I think both of what you were saying is subjective. Both, everything that we're arguing here is subjective. I think the only thing that you guys said that wasn't subjective is how iconic a film is in in the sense of what it produces for society. Exorcist, Jaws, these have th these are things that have demonstrably changed things in the world. And there's a there's a sense in which that matters. But I don't put a lot of weight on that. I, I in fact I put very little weight on that. I put weight on what it does to me, the stone in my shoe. And I actually, what I love about Von Trier is how egocentric he is and the balls it takes to make an entire movie about oneself. It's very Bergman. I mean, what are we, what are we, why are we shitting on this? It's very Bergman. Um, no, so, it's not. Uh, oh, okay. oh my God. Ber anyway. Jim, Jim, Bergman, his films are about, are large, I mean, his, his, we've been talking, we've done uh, one film in the, in the, um, the Silence of God trilogy, but you know, a lot of his films are him contemplating death because of his own shit. I mean, he's talked about this in interviews and he's talked about what these movies have meant to him. And there are people who know him that, I mean, this is, we have talked through and through about certain directors working out their shit through their film. And that's great. It's not bad. It's a great thing because if we share those same fears, and I think a lot of us do, I, I certainly do for some of these, then there's a connection there. There's this sort of communal thing that that movie speaks to decades later in a different country, in a different language. There's something there that's fundamental that hits and so I don't mind that at all. I, I actually, the more you guys were talking, the more I appreciate the balls on Von Trier in this. So look, I love Jaws. Jaws is definitely the more iconic movie. Hey, whatever, man. It definitely is. It's gonna, it, nobody, you know what? In 50 years, people still be talking about Jaws. I doubt they'll be talking about the house that Jack built. I don't give nope. a fuck. What, I don't give a fuck what people are talking about in 50 years. I don't care. Um, Shara, yeah, come yeah. back to me. What do you say? Three to one. Three to one, bitches. Three to one. So... The thing is, there are a lot of films that Aye. get to you and have gotten to people and nobody paid attention to when it initially got released. And then later on, we go back and look at them and then we go, holy shit, that hit something. And so I, I'm not going to go on iconography or or like even just things that they've created that are new for this because it doesn't necessarily mean anything. There were new things that were done in in Von Trier's movie, which is really hard to do in horror today. It's really hard to be original in horror today. And the ending scene 
uh, where he basically is trying so hard to escape his fate um, and fails miserably. Um, it's real. It's reality. Whereas yeah. Jaws is fun. It's a fun trip, but it's, you know, it's silliness. And honestly, it did create a lot of people being afraid of something they shouldn't necessarily be afraid of. Death is something you should be afraid of. Sharks killing you in the ocean. I've been in the ocean so many times. I don't care. There's no shark uh-huh. coming after me. It doesn't scare me. It's this. funny. It's a it, giant robot going on, on, on. Like, this hurts. All right. I, <laughs> I would shenanigans this, but it's three to one, so I can't. All right. Moving right along. Take that, that, stupid shark. Anyway, sorry. Let's see what, let's see what happens to another classic. Uh, rear window. <laughs> fucking Alfred Hitchcock is about to lose to fucking John Krasinski, probably. Um, this is going to hurt. Rear Window, Jimmy Stewart. Uh, Great movie about a man staring out uh, his window thinking his neighbors are killing people. And Quiet Place, a movie about aliens who are attracted to sound. Uh, Noah, what are you going to choose, Quiet Place or Rear Window? It depends on which one makes you triggered the most. This is kind (laughs) of the, the threshold I'm using. Uh, I, I'm going to go with the rear window. I did not like A Quiet Place. I thought A Quiet Place was he- way overrated. The score on Rotten Tomatoes is insane. Uh, I've said this before. I'll say it again. I've said it in like three videos now. If the monster can be killed with a hearing aid, the government should have been able to wipe them all out. Insanely stupid. Uh, I get the I get the the importance of family and closeness, and I, I, get, I get, you know, mistakes and wanting to work them through and show you love your child, yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. That doesn't do anything for me, doesn't speak to me, it doesn't do anything but just make me roll my eyes. I'm sorry, I don't know what that means about me, but that's that's the fact. Um, Hitchcock, right? And as you know, Jim, I only pick iconic horror movies. <laughs> so, uh, come on now. Uh, but the tension in Rear Window is is fantastic. And see, the thing is, uh, in A Quiet Place, it's, it's meant to have a, a large degree of tension, right? Uh, shh. Right. You got to be quiet. So everything's tense, right? So there's this, both of them share, I can't believe I'm connecting these two, but both of them, I think, share in a very, um, a very large attempt at building tension. But my God, does a rear window do it so much better. Um, and uh, I'm not going to go off, you know, all of the horror films that have been built on top of a rear window. There have been quite a few that have taken things from a rear window. But again, that that means very little to me. I just think... When I think of these two movies, the first thing I think of is tension for some reason. I think both of these are an attempt at really elucidating tension from the audience. And just one shines so much better than the other. Um, And I just really did not like A Quiet Place at all for all the reasons I went into in the podcast. Um, I think I gave it a decent rating, but as it sat with me over time and as I open up Netflix and I see the damn logo every time I pop it open, I just hate it more. So uh, I'm giving this to a rear window. Ben? Yeah, I don't think this is a really uh, difficult decision for me either. Like uh, for Quiet Place, you know, I think I ended up giving that a three just because I was sort of really kind of disappointed with a lot of things. And I feel like it's pretty good. You know, it's okay. I think it's uh, his, what, his his, like first attempt at directing a feature length film. And it's cool to see comedians going over into the horror genre. I think that works in general. But this, I mean, it's definitely kind of meh for me. Um, 
Rear window is really good. You know, maybe I'm just going to rate it extremely high because I, too, one day hope to have that much window space in my apartment. Um, gorgeous. But uh, overall, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's I don't think it's going to be that controversial to say that rear window wins this one for me. Shara. Yeah, Hitchcock is is fucking God. Of course, I'm going with rear window. Uh, Quiet Place okay. is fine. It's fine. I, I, I don't know if I'll watch it again. It was fine. <laughs> well, we're back on track, folks. Rear Window wins unanimously. For our next battle, we've got Requiem for a Dream against Audition. Requiem for a Dream, a film about how drugs are bad, and Audition, a film about how dating is bad. Uh, Noah, what do you say? Requiem or Audition? Well, at least it's not Jaws again. I hate to keep going back to that, Jim. I hate to keep <laughs> going back to that. But uh, I'm going to give this to Audition. Uh... Requiem for a Dream is a great movie. I know it's Shayra. This is where I'm going to have a little battle with Shayra, I think. Uh, Requiem for a Dream was was a, kind of a mindfuck. Um, but I felt like it was a little condescending. I actually felt about Requiem for a Dream how you felt, Shayra, about Climax. I felt like it was a PSA on drug use. And, I mean, th there's nothing wrong with that, per se. I mean, it's a... Uh, I mean, it shows the horrors of drug use in a way that's very, uh, and it in a very unique way, actually, with with the cameras and those little like <laughs> moments where you get to see things. I did that really well, actually. That's exact sound they should be using in the film. Uh, but uh, so you know, it's not a bad movie. Um, I liked Requiem for a Dream, but I think Audition had shock value and a reversal of genders, it, it, traditional gender roles and shit that we talked about that it just gave it a lot of meat. God, that's ironic. I did not mean that as a pun. It gave it gave it more meat to, yeah, to pick from. God, I can't keep going with this. Uh, more meat on the bone to kind of saw through, you know, to talk mm -hmm. about, um, to kitty, 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 that kind of stuff. Um, it was more shocking. I think it had more cerebral stuff going on, um, if I recall correctly. Uh, it was more viscerally violent, left me more in a corner like this, balled up. Probably how you felt for Requiem for a Dream. Um, but it left me very balled up and scarred and never wanting to look at another woman again, just kind of like this. Like, I don't, I can't, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm not a misogynist, but I, I don't ever want to get my tendon cut. I'm just not going to go outside. Like, that's how Audition left me. So I got to give it to Audition. Ben? So this one, um, I think I'm going to have to give to Requiem just because I saw that as being a little bit more than a PSA. Um, the drug thing, obviously, I think that's the that's the sort of like the initial layer that a lot of people are going to interpret this uh, this film through. But it was, I think, about more than that. The drugs were just sort of sort of like one of the ways in which people were were losing their way, as as we saw in the film, right? Like there was this thing they were all looking for and seeking, um, but there were different ways in which they lost their way and kind of got. Uh, separated from the people that mattered most to them and there there was really there were there were a few layers to this and i think it was ended up being a very fantastic discussion uh if we go back to that episode like there were a lot of layers that we're able to piece through um to serve that intellectual component um so yeah i mean i think this one for me was more of like a, an existential horror and really kind of like went into some deeper themes that were that worked really well for me um yeah uh, as far as the scores i don't think that's going to be fairly controversial for what i gave each of these films but um this one's going to requiem Shaver? Requiem. Uh, I love an audition, but it's much deeper and there's a lot more to pick off of it. And I, as much as I love kitty, 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 I love that stuff. It was fantastic. It messed with my head. Uh, we, we talked about, you know, the piano wire being used, all that stuff. It, it's fantastically horrifying. Um, 
But Requiem is one of those films I've continued to go back to a million times over. It always messes with my head. It is much deeper than a PSA about drugs. Uh, and we did talk about that in the show. But um, it, it has to be Requiem. Like, it's... it's The soundtrack! Three. Come on! That's fantastic soundtrack. <laughs> Come on. It's, it's three to one. Noah, you have one minute starting now to convince us to change our vote. I am for Requiem as well. Well, I'm all going to send you mail bombs. That's going to be the thing that changes your mind if you don't if you don't switch. I have all your addresses. Uh, no, I look. I uh, so one thing I do. Want, I don't think I'm going to change your mind. So here's what I'm going to say. Um, I don't think it was just a PSA. Like I, I don't want to pervade the image that it was just always oh, entirely a PSA on on don't, not doing drugs. You're totally right. It had other stuff going on. It's a deeply existential movie. But it felt it felt like the PSA part hit me more than some of the other things that may have hit you. Um, in audition, there was a specific component to how the role the gender roles were reversed and how there was this misogyny of the man auditioning for a girlfriend and so and it swapped everything in a violent way and made you take a look back on this very i think timely issue in our especially in the in the era of me too right and this was made a long time ago so it's 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 uh it's deep it's timely it's viscerally violent it's more of a traditional horror than an existential horror sometimes existential does it for me sometimes traditional horror does it better this one just hit me in the gut a little more and so i can't I, yeah switch switch mail bombs mail bombs go for it has anybody switched their vote so requiem for a dream moves on now it is Rosemary's Baby, a movie, Roman Polanski movie about how ha having babies is bad, and Tony Darko, a weird time travel movie that is about how having siblings is bad, and rabbits who talk to you. Um, no, I, there's a little more going on in Tony Darko there. I gave it short shrift only because I'm voting for Rosemary's Baby. Uh, Noah, what do you say? Rosemary's uh, we can We can literally tell who you're voting for by the way you introduce films. I want you to know that, Mr. Jim. I uh, I love Rosemary's Baby. It, the, see, this is the... Okay, so I'm, I'm noticing as I'm going down this list, the problem I'm going to run into, and I, I wonder if the, our audience is going to forgive me for this, is, is cho not choosing iconic sort of everlasting horror, the, the big staples of horror that we've gone over, Jaws, um, you know, uh, uh, well, and then this one, Rosemary's Baby, and we're going to hit some more. Um, the cultural impact of Rosemary's Baby is phenomenal. Um, the movie's phenomenal. Um, it it was unsettling when I and I, I watched it uh, in my uh, in my like preteens. Um, so it even hit me a little more then. Um, it was shocking. Uh, but I Donnie Darko has grown on me. I did not like Donnie Darko for a really long time. I thought it didn't make sense. Um, I, I just didn't enjoy it. And then when we did our podcast. I like realized that my way of looking at Donnie Darko, like there was there was layers to Donnie Darko that I had just not thought of. I didn't go down the Reddit rabbit hole of what the fuck's going on and you're online at 3 a.m. like with your eyes bleeding going, this movie's way more deep. Like you guys gave me that in two hours. So, and, and I've seen it again twice since we did our podcast and I fucking love Donnie Darko. I, I have replay value to Donnie Darko that I don't have for Rosemary's Baby. Rosemary's Baby ha is the staple it's the movie that is going to probably last. But I don't know, man. Donnie Darko has become a cult uh, classic since, it's, uh, since it came out. And I just, uh, I, it's, it's layered. It's such a weird comparison to make. But it's layered in a way that hit me a little harder. There's more meat on the bone. 
Um, and you know, I, I just, it does, it, I don't know. It just does more for me and, um, it doesn't scare me as much. So this is, this is going to be weird for me. Rosemary's baby, I think is a scarier movie, um, than Donnie Darko, but Donnie Darko is just more interesting and more, um, uh, it, there's more stuff to talk about. And I don't know why between these two movies, I give it to Donnie Darko. There's going to be other times where I may give it to the film that has less to say, but in this one, I just, if I go with my gut, I'm going to have to say Donnie Darko. Oh, can't believe I'm I'm shitting all over nostalgia. I too really, really enjoy Donnie Darko. I think it's absolutely fantastic film. And, um, I, I thought so for years. Um, but that being said, you know, I mean, God is a dead hail Satan, right? So Rosemary's baby. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Shara. Why don't you go suck a fuck? I'm going with Donnie Darko. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'm going with, I'm going with the iconic. I am going, of course, with Rosemary's baby. Um, So we have a five minute fight coming up. Who is the champion from the Donnie Darko team? I'm gonna give this one. To, yeah, I'm gonna give this one to Shara. I'm gonna give this <laughs> All right, one to Shara. Shara and uh, Ben. Do you want to take Rosemary? Um, either way. Do you want to get? Yeah, go ahead. To, okay. Yeah. Ready? And five minutes. I don't want to go up against Ben. I'm gonna fucking cry. Okay. <laughs> yeah, as we learned, he's a master debater. He's gonna, he's yeah. gonna do some ad hominem attacks on you. No, go that's ahead. fine. I I can take it. I've been on YouTube for a long time. Um, I'll I'll start. Uh, look. Donnie Darko is one of those films that when I first watched it, it it stuck in me. Uh, these ideas of time travel, it led me to reading a lot of stuff about scientific discovery, but also just the imagery from the costumes, like from Frank, uh, has always stuck in my mind. Whenever I see Frank's face, it, it messes me up. There's new things that I find every time I watch the film. Every time I see it, I learn something new. Even though I've completely memorized the beginning sequence with na 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 na. <laughs> like I've memorized every single thing the characters do in that sequence. Um, so it, it still brings something new and fresh to my mind. And it definitely makes me think of my mother because my mother is that crazy lady who wanted the books out of the schools that, and was mad about, you know, things and telling people about her cult religion. So it it's probably subjective there, but it definitely brings up some of the things that have actually scared me in my real life. So it's, it's just sticks in my mind. It sticks in my soul and messes with me and it's taught me stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to have to agree that there definitely is a lot here in terms of like the intellectual meat on the bone. And there are a lot of layers. In fact, one of the things that I think I really enjoy most outside of the predestination themes that we have heavily present in this film is going to be that love versus hate dichotomy that we see and how Donnie just completely just shits all over that. That's absolutely fantastic. It's a great scene. I think the reason that I'm arguing for... um, Rosemary's baby here is just because of the way that they're able to build the tension in this and the fact that it's such a unique horror film and that we don't see a scary rabbit that's six foot tall sort of, you know, haunting us throughout this uh, creepy journey where we happen to see what's going on in the future and what's, you know, eventually there's this thing that crashes through your roof and kills. I mean, it's like, it's interesting in that way, but with Rosemary's Baby, we don't have any of those things, and it's still really successful at building that tension, not to mention some of those deeper sort of like commentary themes about feminism and about um, kind of like the uh, the objectification or um, uh, I, I'm losing my words here, just like the, the manipulation of women, right? Um, you know, I think there's relevant cultural context there. 
and just fantastic technique being used. And whenever I think about that stuff, just in whole, in terms of like a better film, that's really what I'm going to be voting for. I'm going to give you the intellectual content thing, but as far as like the, the important themes and the technique being used, I think that's really why I have to stick with Rosemary's baby on this one, because there's never been another film. I think that was so good at building that tension without showing you a monster. And they never really do that. I mean, they never really do at the end. They just give you the reactions of the actors. And so Should we're leaning much more heavily on monster their skills. In the, in the crazy sequence where she she's a little bit high that you do see a bit of a beast in there and so there is a bit of a monster and i i kind of like with donnie darko's monster where you find out he's just a really cool guy who means well and donnie ends up sacrificing himself for this guy because he realizes it's just a guy and then you see him later on holding his eye like whoa what the heck just happened to me when we get to the new sequence of events and that really messed me up because that means that there was some kind of echo of mm -hmm. the other occurrence and i feel that sometimes i feel like these weird things occur sometimes and i'm like oh did that happen did i hear that did i did i feel that and and you have to wonder is it because of an echo from you know this other timeline or am i just going crazy who knows right i mean it's <laughs> definitely interesting i think one of the things that i really enjoy about horror films too is whenever they have the message that it's really kind of the people that are, are sort of the real monsters in the story and of course with rosemary's baby you do have a supernatural component and you've got the devil and all of this stuff going on but it's the people who really do the shitty things you know she's taken advantage of by a group of people who completely take everything in her life who take away her baby who see this good thing that she has going on and without giving her the freedom of agency decide what she's going to be put through for the sake of her husband's career you know what i mean uh, yes you have the devil present there um but it's really i think the people that are, are the monsters and i think that whole that hearkening back to the scooby-doo themes of my youth you know what i mean like where it's really just the people that are always the driving force behind the horrible thing going on is something that i think is really important for me and that's a fantastic message gosh, to have. that's what both of these movies do which is really messed up you have this really great guy that the whole town is is thinking is great no he has a bunch of kitty porn hidden in in his house and and donnie burns the house down to like oh, yeah. reveal this That's and you're just like oh my gosh real people are the monsters that is so scary and then the monsters you think are monsters are just the real cool people you should probably you know care about it's like no you just i don't know it's it's it messes with your head but i think both movies kind of do that right where your monsters maybe aren't so bad and, and your the people in your life are probably the worse. Ooh. Five-minute marker. Perfect time. All right. Uh, did anyone change their vote? Nope. Nope. All right. So we flip a coin. Um, the Donnie Darko team. Uh, let's see. Which one is higher seated? Uh, so it looks like uh rosemary's baby is higher seated so that'll be heads and donnie darko is lower seated so i want to see the coin on your damn yeah. phone i trust yeah, you jim but i want to see the i want to see the coin heads is rosemary's baby tails is donnie darko flipping now it is tails donnie darko Oh yeah, awesome. This is one of those. I mean, I don't know if if, some, if you guys want to call shenanigans, but I feel like this is one of those that shenanigans probably is not good to use on. I'm just gonna throw I'm, that out there, Jim and Ben. Just I'm gonna nice. throw that out. I see the merits of Donnie Darko. I'm not gonna use my shenanigans on this one. 
I I think Rosemary's Baby is clearly a better film. I don't think that there's any question about it. Um, I'm strategically <laughs> I'm strategically sh- saving my shenanigans because I know that there's going to be uh, arguments later that I definitely want to win. Um, so for that reason, uh, we move on to Train to Busan, a movie about going to a place uh, with the zombies and Cabin in the Woods, a uh, deconstruction of the entire horror genre played through the dialogue of Joss Whedon. Uh, so, Noah, what do we choose? Can Train I just say... Busan or Cabin in the Woods? Can I just say these are both my films? And yeah, think- yeah. Yeah, this is going to be hard for Shayra. Also, also, yeah, you're right, Jim. So, Train to Busan is going to a place and Cabin in the Woods is a place. Who would have thunk it? So, this is hard for me. Um, I, love Ca- I love Cabin in the Woods and I love Train to Busan. Cabin in the Woods is a very postmodern film. Uh, it is hilarious at times. The ending is one of my favorite ending sequences of any horror film ever. But Train to Busan, I think, is the superior film. Um, and this is a really weird choice for me, right? Because I tend to gravitate towards postmodern horror. I love Scream. Uh, this is a, a, a great one. But Train to Busan is very modern. It's about it's 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 actually a very basic story. The zombies are obviously important, and we talked in depth about how they're scary and how they got particular sorts of dancers and actors to do them. So there's a a quality to the zombies in Train to Busan that's better. But it's very modern in the sense that it's about love. I mean, it is it is one of the few horror films that is, that will make you cry, legitimately make you sad. And cry, not just be horror. It will take you through the abundance of emotion. It is it is wider ranging. Uh, Cabin in the Woods is is scary and funny, but Train to Busan is scary and funny at times, and incredibly sad and uh, beautiful. You know what I mean? It, it just has more of a, a larger range to it, and I can't believe I'm choosing the film that is more just downed in, in modernity than, than, uh, than I'm used to. I, I just, I, it's strange for me to pick something like this, but, um, Korean horror man is knocking it out of the park. It's where it's at. I think it's superior. Hate to say that because I love Cabin in the Woods. So I'm going to give it a train to Busan. Ben. So in this one, I think, I think honestly, I'm going to have to give this to Cabin in the Woods. I agree that train to Busan is uh, of a higher quality. It's a very fantastically made film. And yeah, I mean, the horror films that we see coming out of that part of the world now are just, are, largely i mean probably better than what we see coming out of hollywood just overall in general right just better quality more interesting um maybe i'm just a little bit burnt out on the zombie thing and like i understand that zombies can be used as like a a metaphor for lots of different sort of societal issues and like interesting themes but man like there's nothing quite like cabin in the woods and it's one of those films that either you get it or you don't like it um and as far as like the postmodern meta commentary, I just I, I really I really like it because, again, it's one of those things that is a, incredibly unique. I don't know that there's another thing quite like it in the genre. So I'm going to go with that one. Shaver. So uh, one of the reasons why I love Cabin in the Woods is it's very similar to Scream for me, which was another movie I chose. And no one I did a show, but it didn't take the, the video didn't go through. It was wonderful. It was with his wife. It was a great uh, analysis of a film. I wish we could somehow bring it back to life. But uh, I love these films that talk about, uh, you know, what a horror movie is and and kind of deconstruct it while you're going along the storyline. In fact, it, this one goes above and beyond because it goes over every single kind of monster. And, and, and it takes you to this ending that is just so 
depressing too. Like they're both, both the endings seem a little bit sad and down, but this one is really just like, all right, I guess we're going to die. Cause that's what we got to do. We're, we're just, everyone's going to die. Hey, how's it going? Um, but train to Busan, it, it was so well put together. It is so beautiful to look at. And that little girl actress is fantastic. Uh, when, when dad makes the ultimate sacrifice, you do, cry and i've watched this movie now probably about 15 times and every time i cry every damn time i cry i cannot stop crying from this film it does not lower the impact if you've seen it before so it's it it hits um it's so well done and i do love korean horror uh but i love both of these films these are both films i (laughs) i chose because i love them so much i feel like i'm choosing you know, this is Sophie's choice going on right now. I have my two babies, and I have to figure out which one is going to get snuffed. Um, I think I'm going to go with a gut and go with Train to Busan on this one. Uh, but I love Cabin in the Woods so much, uh, especially how it deconstructs how they hurt women and, and the tropes of blonde girls and the horniness is just a fog in this forest. God, that's such good stuff. But... Uh, I'm gonna go with Train to Busan. Sorry. <laughs> I was watching. Uh, I was watching Train to Busan with a uh, a lady friend, and she literally had a panic attack while watching Train to Busan. So uh, that is the defining characteristic of that movie for me. I have to go Train to Busan as well. Ben, you have one minute to convince us to change our vote. And you're and you're apt to do it, Ben, because you're really good at this, fucker. So. Yeah, we'll see. I don't think I'm going to change any votes on this one. I mean, we're, we all are on a similar page, I think, where we agree that both films are really good and really interesting for very different reasons. I personally tend to go towards um, artistic like filmmaking works that are unique and offer some kind of like a unique contribution to the genre and just like the field as a whole, not to be like too academic about it. But again, you know, we've seen plenty of zombie films and there are a lot of movies out there that really do sort of creep people out and make them panicky and afraid um we've got a lot of that we we definitely have a lot of that and while the quality of this one is particularly high it is still i think derivative of all the work that came before it now i don't think that's necessarily going to be true of a postmodern film that deconstructs a genre you can't really call that derivative because it's a meta commentary on everything that we've seen so far but we haven't seen very many of those meta commentaries on the genre and how ridiculous it can be sometimes. And I personally really enjoy that because I think that that's something that this podcast resonates with is the fact that a lot of, a lot of the stuff that we see in the genre is just kind of ridiculous, but um, okay. Did anyone change the vote? I didn't change my vote, but I do want to say something. I, I, so I like what Ben is saying about the banality of zombie films versus the uniqueness of sort of the postmodern stuff that's going on to, in Cabin in the Woods. They're actually, to me, very opposite movies. One is very modern. One is very postmodern. Yeah. Um, yeah. Think of how think of how they end. One ends with hope, with the woman and the child. One ends in a in a complete sense of nihilism, where I think the last words in Cabin in the Woods are like, "We've had our we've had our time. It's time for someone else." Do you guys remember that? Is, yeah. is it, they're, How they're, politically yeah. relevant that is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's yeah. And, and I, I, what's odd for me is I, I traditionally go with the latter. I traditionally, like the films that speak to me the most tend to be the train, the, um, the cabin in the woods esque sort of films, but that is a testament to how good train to Busan is everywhere else to me. Um, so I, yeah, it's, this is, this is one of those hard ones. 
but it sounds sounds like Train to Busan's going. So Train to Busan moves on. All right, we've got Pontypool, a movie about a zombie virus in a word, and Coherence, a movie about a dinner party uh, gone multiverse. What do you say, Noah? Pontypool or Coherence? All right. Well, wait a minute. So these are the most deflationary one sentence things. I mean, they're accurate. I can't argue with how accurate they are. <laughs> But they they are quite deflationary. Um, but yes, uh, yeah, you're you're right, bastard. It is about a fucking virus in a word, uh, English word, no less. Hundred percent Pontypool. Coherence was decent, but Pontypool is uh, oh god, in every way superior. Um, it's one of those movies that all takes place in one room. Uh, Coherence somewhat, it, it somewhat takes place all in it takes place in a house. They go outside a little. They don't go outside at all. And Pontypool, I don't think. I think maybe for like half a second they open the door and look out. But um. I, I I mean for like a second though I mean for like a second but they go out for a second in coherence whatever uh, but I think po- what Pontypool has over coherence is it's novel to think of so we talked about a second ago the banality of zombies and the zombie apocalypse what's great about Pontypool is it's insanely novel to have the whole thing happen through audio it's also works on many levels because audio is the thing that is going to be the problem um, Pontypool has my favorite opening of almost any horror film ever made. The intro to Pontypool, the sort of compressed audio of Steve McCaddy, um, is one of the coolest, most unique. I was hooked. The moment I heard that, I was like, what am I listening to? What am I watching? Um, I can fall asleep to Pontypool. Uh, the audio, I, I have it on my favorites, uh, ju- all the full audio from Pontypool. I've fallen asleep to it many times. Um, it, it's a novel. It is terrifying it's cerebral the concepts in pontypool are interesting to think about um it should scare you if you are if you're a postmodernist as we talked about in our in our session about words having a set um stable sort of uh ontic reality to which a virus can be attached to it right so it's very it's very modernist it's very it, it, it instantiates words as being a thing that truly exists in a particular way to which viruses can be attached to them and uh it, it just has layers that coherence doesn't have coherence is a mind fuck in the sense that you're wondering well they went there how did this happen what happened it's a cheap mind fuck you know what i mean it's a ten dollar hooker mind fuck whereas it's a thousand dollar a night hooker mind fuck in Pontypool. <laughs> all right ben <laughs> which hooker do you want well, I mean, I guess my argument for between these two films really boils down to this. You know, yes, the multiverse stuff is cool, but have you ever seen Honey the Cat? And of course, the answer to that is no. We've all seen the posters for Honey the Cat, but nobody has seen but Honey the Cat. But nobody's seen Honey the Cat. That's true. And for that reason, I'm going Pontypool. There was a very famous saying when I was a child that when sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. In Pontypool, that's just not true. But also in real life, it's not true. This idea that our words do not hurt uh, you know, it, it's such false bullshit. Like, I don't know why that was something they told us. Words definitely hurt us. And I think we're just now starting to realize that there is uh, some pain that can happen to our us saying stuff to each other or even just see how saying stuff can affect us in political worlds. We can see how words are a very huge problem in indoctrinating and and brainwashing people um and and i think that's really the huge thing with me with pontypool it it has its funny amazing moments it it is very chill and it is great to fall asleep to um but it also is so true to what is actually scary in the world uh that that our words can hurt others 
and our words can actually manipulate minds. And that is really, truly horrifying if you think about it. But also, we, we went into this in the show. Like, it's it, there's actually some uh, merit to <laughs> some of the weirdnesses. It seems weird at first, but then you start looking into the philosophy at all, and you're, you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> this is like, this is some legit horror. It seems ridiculous on the surface, and it's not. So uh, it definitely has to go Pawnee Pool for me. But I, I do like Coherence. You know, I, I like the multiverse shit. I, I like multiverse stories. I love that shit. But uh, when it comes down to it, Honey the Cat, boom, done. It's, speaking of cats. Okay. Well, I am going to go ahead and start the clock because I am voting for Coherence. And I'm voting for coherence because Pontypool sucks. I'm sorry. I watched, I was not on the podcast that we did uh, when we did Pontypool. Uh, it was before I, I came on and I watched it just for the bracket. And I watched this movie and it, it I can't, all of the things that you're saying about Pontypool, I wish that that was actually in the movie because what I see in the movie is just some postmodern bullshit. It is essentially trying to uh, to advance the postmodern, post-structuralist point of view. And I don't think that that, first of all, that it didn't do it well. And second of all, it, it, it was it was kind of boring and a little stupid. And as soon as it gives the hook, it just reminded me of moder Martyrs, where the payoff ended up being incredibly disappointing. And for that reason, I am voting for Coherence because I don't like Pool. Did I change anyone's vote? Good You made me like Pool more. Okay. Yeah. Um, you yeah. Well, it's uh, gonna yeah, that die. That's like the interpretation of somebody that hasn't read any Wittgenstein, honestly. I, mean, I feel like that's really it's weird. a it's I yeah, it's not postmodern at all. It's the opposite. <laughs> it's, no, it's, 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 it's a post. It's trying no. to advance a postmodern thesis. No, it's really not. It's a postmodern nightmare. That is, it is that the, is absolutely the false. The postmodern thesis. The postmodern thesis is that words don't mean anything except it's for the, the opposite. No, they no, and that's that not true. Is the solution to the problem in the movie. No. The fact they stripped the meaning from words in order to make it. Well, we're not fighting anyway. Because yeah, I no, I, we're, we're going to keep this going. We're going to get. No, it, that, it's the no, opposite. Wait. Because it. Wait, hold on. I'm going to tell you what. So if, if words are. The, we will fight in the next round. Okay. I, yeah. Because that's people. that I could. The mail bomb thing was a joke. I'm getting close. All right. <laughs> All right. All right. So we are going to move on to the next the next bracket. Uh, this one, uh, we're going to change up the voting order a little bit. So uh, come and see the this is Shayra's champion. It's a war film set in Belarus. It is also the film that got us in trouble with the Russians, thankfully. Um, so I was very happy. So we're, we'll probably all vote for come and see just because it got us trouble in trouble with the Russians. And uh, it goes up against against Halloween 2018, the uh, erstwhile remake of Halloween. Uh, what do we say, Ben, come and see, or Halloween 2018? I say Sukobliet, come and see wins. <laughs> Shara? Come and see, because Halloween 2018 sucked so bad. <laughs> I love come and see, but I just need to say, Halloween sucked so bad, so yeah. Noah? So I first want to say that Pontypool's better than all of these, and here's 17 reasons why, okay? Uh, other than the 17 reasons that you clearly have just edited out, uh, I, I'm assuming if I said this, Jim has edited, edited them out. 
Um, I'm gonna give this to Come and See because Halloween 2018 was was it, so it wasn't a bad movie. I actually disagree with with Shayra and Ben that it. I mean, I, not that you guys said it was a shit film, but it's. I mean, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't like it wasn't good either, right? So yeah, meh. It was like meh. It was a meh. So Come and See. Come and See wins. Okay. Um... Come and see wins by an easy 4-0 margin. All right, let us move on to the next uh, bracket. We've got Ravenous, a movie about the Ubermensch, who could be any one of them, a uh, couple of characters, as we discussed in our podcast, and Invasion of the Body Snatchers. So a movie about eating people and a movie about taking over people. Uh, ben. So when I originally watched both of these movies, I, I looked back through the scores, and it looks like I gave Ravenous a, a slightly higher score than Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Um, I still think I'm in alignment with that. I really do enjoy Invasion. Um, primarily, I just really like seeing a young Jeff Goldblum. Like, I think that's really what, you know, I mean, it just, like, adds something that is just, that's just good. It enhances um, everyone's rating, I bet. Yeah, yeah, at least at least half a point. At least half a point, if not a full point. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely more to discuss with Ravenous, so I think that one's going to have to get my vote. Ravenous? Yeah. Shayra? I rated these films the exact same number. <laughs> so, but... I think no one knows where this is going to go. Uh, I have a problem with someone taking over me or or losing my mind or my ability to be myself anymore or you know dementia we've talked about this this is one of my greatest fears invasion of the body snatchers i never had even seen because of this show you guys introduced me to it and i was like oh my god no 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 <laughs> this is it really messed me up and i, I thought it was so funny because I thought this was just going to be one of those dumb movies that everybody recommends because it's like an iconic film. And then it messed me up and I was like, oh, crap. Of course, yes, young Jeff Goldblum is great, too. But I really like Ravenous. I mean, gosh, we talked a lot about that stuff. It, it, the, the cannibalism and we've actually started piecing together other movies we've watched with Ravenous and said that these could like all combine together to be this like same world. Uh, so it's such a fun movie. So it's hard. But since they are about equal, I'm going to go with the thing that actually scares the crap out of me more and go with Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I'm with you in Invasion of the Body Snatchers. So that means that, Noah, uh, we are at 2-1 Invasion right now. What do you say? Fuckers. Uh, this, is the, this is the other hard one for me on this list. I picked Ravenous, too. Ravenous. I, but so let me let me clarify real quick. I picked Ravenous because it's my favorite cannibal horror film. Um, that doesn't mean it's really high on my top 10 list. It's not even on my top. Eh, it is on my top 10. Probably on my top five list of horror films. Um, this is going to sound crazy, but I, I actually am going to give this to Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I love Ravenous. Ravenous is a fun movie. It is unique. It is uh, it's, it's the most Nietzschean film on this list, I think, in a lot of ways. There is a lot of content to discuss, but I think when I look back on Invasion of the Body Snatchers, it is so um, isolating, right? Where it, it, The thing that really got me with Invasion of the Body Snatchers is you have these group of people, 
And I think most of the stuff takes place, a, a large portion of the film takes place in a single evening where they're running and they're they're together, but they're very alone in this crowded city. And that really left me feeling hollow. It left me really scared. The idea that like you could be with all of your friends trying to understand this really scary thing that, you know, this, this um, immense fucking multi-layered horror that there are not only, not only are you dying and being replicated, but there are aliens that are doing it. So there's all these, there's, there's layers to this, I think that, that are, that make it a little more scary than uh, Wendigo uh, eating you. I mean, that's definitely a freaky thing too, but I, I just, yeah, it felt, it left me feeling hollow. I, and I think it was some of the filming. I think it was the city stuff. I think it was the, the people coming together and feeling alone that bugged me. I mean, it would it would be a much less scarier film if it was just Donald Sutherland do, discovering these things on his own. But if the fact that they had all these people trying to grasp what was going on and they just kept getting smaller and smaller in number and it just it felt creeping in that that I'm being replaced and I'm getting smaller and I'm getting smaller and I'm not going to be. And ah, it, it Shayra's fear became very manifest in that movie to me. So I love Ravenous, my favorite cannibal more than raw, actually. But if I ask which one scares me more, and the thing that left me more haunted, stone in your shoes sort of shit, goes to uh, goes to uh, um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Ben, you have one minute. So I'm going to have to say, the things that I like about Invasion of, the Bo- Invasion of the Body Snatchers really do go back to its uniqueness. I mean, it is a really cool story, right? The fact that there's this invasion of these sort of like spore-like, plant-like creatures that are coming in replacing people, not just killing them, but replacing them. That's very fantastic. But I think like the, the cool things that I like about it are probably done better in an anime called Parasite the Maxim, which probably, of course, like not everyone here has seen, but maybe even like the the, the practical effects of the thing are, are a little bit better. And I think I enjoy that more. Not to mention Invasion of the Body Snatchers has been done like what like remade like four times or something like that and I mean it is a cool story though and the version that we watched is is quite good um, I think the reason that I really enjoy Ravenous more here though is because it gives us an, a, a medium by which to explore the difference between like the Ayn Randian interpretation of Nietzsche versus the more of like a legitimate interpretation of Nietzsche and that's an important distinction that we really need because there's too much bastardization of Nietzsche's philosophy within like the business world and within certain political groups and they kind of need to be they, they need to be taught that that's not the right interpretation so it's a good philosophical platform yeah you you got me ben i'm i'm switching to ravenous are you serious Seriously? holy wow. shit nice i'm switching to ravenous i'm uh shocked. yeah it's uh it's two two now uh wow. okay well so we gotta so we have to flip uh no we get Fuck, ben is like ben is the master of persuasiveness he's either the best argumenter he's he's a super sophist i can't yeah these are ben ben is a master debater (laughs) he is goddamn right he is uh (laughs) let's all right someone choose from the uh invasion team okay so yeah we're going five minutes yeah we got we get five minutes and ben do you want to keep arguing i am on the fucking i'm on the fence so Uh, either of you two can win me over really i would be curious Um, to hear your reasons for switching i want to hear that too yeah. My reasons for switching have to do with uh, the, the clock? Nietzschean. I think that there's more in Ravenous. I think that I think that Invasion of the Body Snapper Invasion of the Body Snatchers is playing on one particular fear, whereas I think Ravenous is aiming. You were able to convince me that Ravenous is ha- aiming higher. I think that like what is what is not going to convince me throughout much of this is individual subjective fears. What is going to convince me is a film that you can 
tell me aims higher and is is aiming universally. And in that sense, you you made a really good pitch for Ravenous. All right. So the reason why Invasion is such a powerful film on a, on a deeper level and not just on my own dread is because it's one of those ideas of this is how we uh, bring people into cults. This is how we bring people into uh, political views. This is how the, you know, to be very timely, uh, this is how we're getting this brewing of Trump supporters that are very, very strongly Trump. Uh, You start to have this disease that kind of goes throughout and, and, brings people in and this isn't just me pulling shit out of my ass that's actually what the original invasion of the body snatchers was about was about how people can politically bring others into a cult-like uh mentality and force it on others and then bring them into the fray and then push it on others and become this whole big conglomerate of cult-like uh, people. So that was that was initially what it was meant to be about. And, and it is frightening because we do see that happening right now. We do see people that we cannot even reason with because they have become completely sucked into this pod people mode. And it's like they're not even human beings anymore. People that you used to hang out with and love and be able to com- convince of things have become crazed. Yeah, I mean, I think we do have better examples of that even just within this list, though. Like, obviously, Come and See is going to be a more fantastic example of that just by showing the reality of the extreme lengths to which that can take, I think, our our, our brutality as a species. Um, and that's not even something that this film got into is the fact that we can be incredibly brutal once we get to that point, right? So, I mean, it does show us a little bit of how we can be sort of brought into this sort of like, sort of like cult-like mentality. But the analogy... You know, I mean, I, I don't necessarily know if it gets completely there because I think people are going to get hung up on the fact that, like, this is more of an a- alien invasion film. And so, like, from that regard, yeah, I mean, I, I think there are stronger stronger versions of the the narrative of people being brought into a dangerous ideology. Um, and I mean, especially from that regard, we're thinking about Ravenous, right, where we have that sort of comparison being made. So, like, here's a, a harmful interpretation of a philosophy. Here's the enactment of that philosophy in a more productive version but also like if you're talking about marginalized people something i really enjoy about ravenous is the fact that we actually see and i don't think this is necessarily a timely product of of just like when ravenous was made but we see this native american person being taken advantage of quite heavily just in like this very stereotypic role um and even they become sort of like the arbiters of like whatever the the cannibalistic framework that we see used in the movie but i don't think they're necessarily using that in a disparaging way that you do see native americans being portrayed in a lot of different films i think it is a higher level commentary on the fact that they are sort of marginalized within our culture even today and that's an important message that we definitely need to see like obviously right now we're thinking about like greta thunberg and stuff like that who is this climate activist globally everyone has their eyes on this little girl but there have been people of color who have been arguing the exact same thing for years and haven't gotten that same level of attention so you know i think if if you're talking about like relevant political themes um ravenous sort of kind of gets there in, in a better way but there are also like other movies on this list that sort of do the thing invasions of the body snatchers is trying to do but in a more effective manner i would just want to bring in uh, really quickly the philosophy bit into invasion of the body snatchers although there's definitely some very thick philosophy i think nietzschean philosophy specifically in ravenous you know, there's also, there's a lot of philosophy you can draw from Invasion of the Body Snatchers, political philosophy, but then also just the idea of like, if I'm being replicated and everything about me is, is duplicated, is it really, is it, is that me? Like, 
I, I'm not me, but there's a me there, right? It's that 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 Shippethesius thing going on there. There's 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 still depth to Invasion of the Body Snatchers philosophically that I think we can draw. I think it's more classical philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I I agree with you that I mean maybe that's not a good thing though that it's so obvious in Ravenous that it it it. What I liked about Ravenous was your interpretation of the of the protagonist. I saw it completely mm-hmm. the opposite when I watched it, and you you changed my mind, and it made me think a little more deeply about it. So it's the sort of movie that has the ability to have that 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 tier tiered conversation. But I, um, yeah, I uh, shit. I, I guess I weigh fear more deeply than I do uh, philosophy. I mean, I value philosophy. I think that if a movie can get us to have philosophical conversations, it's important and, and it's monumental. But I fear is so central to me. And unfortunately, it's so subjective that I weigh it. I, I put more of a, of, a, of, a, of a kilogram on it than I do um, whether a movie is philosophical. It matters to me again, but I think the fear part ways more for me. So it may just be we're different people with different ways of evaluating these things. Um, yeah, this may, you, may, you guys have made it hard, though. Made it hard. Uh, I'm still in Ravenous. So did anyone uh, else change their vote? I think I'm, st- oh, fuck, I'm still Invasion. Yeah, I'm still Invasion. I'm that coin. Yeah. All right. Um, which one is seated higher? Ravenous uh, is at a four. Okay. And... Invasion is at a 3.83. Okay, so that means Ravenous is seated higher, Ravenous is heads, and Invasion is tails. Coin flipped, and it is heads, Ravenous. I can show you if I I'm, I'm actually not unhappy. Like, that's, I, yeah. I'm, I'm cool with it. I prefer Invasion, but, you know, Ravenous is not a bad movie. If we get to, if we get to Bug, for example, Jim, <laughs> God, God, and we flip Flipping. and it wins. Woo! That's... <laughs> I told you I was saving my shenanigans. For our next one, we have Creep 2, a movie, a sequel to Creep about two people trying to mentally fuck with each other, to Frankenstein 31, a classic horror film about man trying to create life. It's alive, Ben. Is it alive for you? Uh, (laughs) Frankenstein or Creep 2? Eh, I mean, it's moving, but does motion really equal life? Eh, yeah. I really enjoy Karloff's uh, performance here, but I think, you know, as we've said, I think that's probably the best thing about this film, really. <clears throat> Creep 2 left me wanting Creep 3. I really want to see the next film in this series. Um, so, yeah, like a like a fine Coppola wine, I just have more of an appreciation for, for Creep 2 than for Frankenstein 31. All right, Shara. This one's hard for me. I love the original Frankenstein that really brought us to that. I I love the scene where he's with the blind man and uh, being taught how to smoke and and being (laughs) taught how to do all these things. It's it's such a a beautiful juxtaposition of, you know, this is a monster. But, you know, if you're blind to these things, are you going to be able to love these people because you can actually see their their beauty? It, it's such a great story. Like, it's such a great story. And, and this is based off of a story written by a woman who was in her early 20s and uh, was just dicking around her freaking house with some friends. And they decided to do this on a whim because of a storm. And she invented sci-fi. Like, that's so cool. Uh, like, that is the coolest thing ever. Um, but 
I really love Creep too. <laughs> so I'm really torn because that was such a great film. It really messed with my head. I actually liked Creep 2 more than Creep, which is crazy to me. That does not happen normally. So it, it, it keeps me torn. Um, but I think I think Frankenstein is just one of those things where it, it's I love the book, I love the movie. It's always stuck with me. I liked Creep 2 a lot. I wouldn't mind if it lost to Frankenstein, but I'm going to have to go Frankenstein because it's uh, Frankenstein's so good to me. Uh, I am going Creep 2. So, Noah. Creep 2. Oh, my God. I am so glad I was not on the Frankenstein podcast. I hate <laughs> Frankenstein 1931, guys. I, it is the most overrated horror film ever made. Ever made. Period. Right. I, I could go into it. I'm not going Shayra, to. I'm going to try. You don't I'm have gonna... to because it's three to one. The burden of proof is on Shayra. Uh, you have one minute to convince us to change our vote from Creep 2. Yeah, I'll, I'll never be able to convince you that it's it's good because it's probably more of a it's so old that it's weird kind of a situation maybe. But um, one of the things that I really loved about the original Frankenstein is, and, and I say it's the original, I know that there's other attempts to do stuff but this was the original this was the main one this is where we have a a an actor who was learning how to do his own like look for monsters um and he was he was doing he was doing things that never really were, were being thought of you know and now we see it all the time we look through our timelines on social media we see people doing their own weird creepy horror makeup but this is like this is some og stuff and not only that the the parts and pieces that were used on the sets were reused in Young Frankenstein. Uh, they, they went and found the original set pieces and, and reused them because they were just so amazing. And also, it, it, they're just nostalgic. I mean, everybody knows that he's alive. It's All alive, right. you know? So, anyone change their vote? Creep. I will say, though, I've got to say, though, I, I think the, the argument about Shelley's original story, Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley, like that's that's incredibly inspiring. And that what she created was absolutely fantastic. Like it's it's so incredible. And I'm so glad that her work made it through history just based on the time with which in which she created it. Um, but the 31 Frankenstein just was like so different than what she actually wrote that. I, I don't know. I see I them agree. as very, and I very do different. Like the book, you know? But right. I, I like them both. <laughs> oh yeah, they didn't even give her Let's... credit. They gave her husband the credit and the fuck. Anyway, sorry. Well, yeah. it was Mrs. It was Mrs. Percy yeah. Show. So yeah, yes. yes. moving, yeah, moving right I'm... along. Mo moving um, on. <laughs> now we have the uh, the one I've been dreading the most. This is literally so we've got Bug, which is one of my favorite films uh, that we've ever done on the podcast. A film about a couple who is stuffed in a hotel room and it proves that uh, paranoid schizophrenia could be contagious. And we have Climax, a film about dancing while on acid. Um, so oh this is literally the most, the uh, Climax is the most divisive film that we've ever had on the podcast. Ben, uh, which one do you vote for, Bug or Climax? Oh, my goodness. Uh, this contention. Yeah, I, I watched Bug. I wasn't on that podcast, so I watched it specifically for this discussion. I get the appeal. It's really interesting. The structure of the film is, is pretty good. Um, I do appreciate the fact that you can see clear distinctions within the acts based on how the hotel room looks. But the 
story structure and the way that they bring everything together with regard to the main characters, like relationships, how this new person gets introduced to her life, how those relationships change with regard to how this one person's sort of schizophrenia and and psychosis keeps amplifying and how that does seem to be transferring to the main character i think all of that is just sort of super fucking disjointed like it's it's a really cool story i know i know i'm sorry jim i'm so sorry but it's it's cool and it's interesting but it's just badly executed man like this movie is poorly executed i'm so sorry so i i think i'm gonna have to go with climax on this one um again i, I don't uh, uh, i see Shara? the disappointment I, i'm sorry i'm sorry <laughs> Sarah, my rating of climax was one. Yeah, she hated climax. One. I've never given a movie one. My rating of bug is four point five. <laughs> I am so sorry, but it's pretty fucking obvious where I'm going to go with this. But I I do want to point out why, because uh, I I think that it is something I should justify. Um, climax, it, it had some beautiful visuals and, and they did dance well and, and all this stuff, but it just was, uh, it, it didn't speak to me in any way, shape or form. It didn't say anything at all to me with bug. The reason why it, it hits so hard was because it's talking about being stuck in an abusive relationship and what that does to you and how it infects you and how it destroys you and how it messes with your head. Um, that speaks volumes to me compared to, uh, I got high off some punch and did some weird dance moves with my friends and, and freaked out in a, in a warehouse and some people died. I, I'm sorry. Like it just, it, don't it, apologize. You don't apologize for me. <laughs> no, please do. Like, please do. We need, no, it, you know, we need to hear the apology. Really I want to continue. I feel like, uh, aesthetic is is somehow being won over by an infection of reality like you infect each other that's what we do we infect each other and and we we get into each other's like psyche and we and we get under each other's skin that's literally what we do and and this movie does it so well that you're sitting there watching it going like this and uncomfortable while watching it so uh with with the climax i was just like Whoa, she did the splits and, and humped a wall. Okay. <laughs> so my, my favorite part, right. actually. I'm favorite. obviously going bug, Noah. Oh, climax. 100%. All right. Five minutes starts now. I'll be the champion for bug. Who wants to be the champion for climax? I can go, or Ben can hop in since he clearly is the best master debater. No, 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 please go ahead, and I might okay. sprinkle in some whatever. Go, go, go for no, it. No, 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 this is no one. No, this is uh, one oh, one. oh, all right, he wants, to, he wants to fight. He wants to fight. All right, go for it. Let's fight. Now, you got to, right. wait a minute, so you got to convince either me or Ben, and I got to convince one of you two, so go for it. Well, we'll see how that goes. Uh, starting now. Um, so Bug is about relationship horror. Like, Noah, you always talk about how familial horror is the thing that gets you. And yet, what is the basis of familial horror? It is a love relationship between two people. Now, Bug asked the question, what would happen if love, like like paranoid schizophrenia, like a bug, like whatever else can get inside you and warp who you are as a person, changes who you are as a person, and that the person that you become as a result of that change is demonstrably worse. 
These are people in desperate pain who need each other. And as a result of needing each other, they fall down the abyss. Now, you can't tell me, no one can tell me that they have not felt that feeling, that, that feeling of need, that feeling of loss, and then watching that feeling of need and loss corrupt you. That is what, at the heart of Bug, that is what that movie is about. Climax is about dancing to acid. So if you can tell me that there is something transcendent about Climax, I'll be happy to listen. But aside from that, it's just got Gaspar Noe showing off with his camera work, Sophia Batella humping a wall, and some lady pissing on a dance floor. It is, it is the lowest form. It is the lowest film that we have ever done on this podcast. And I am, I am shocked, shocked, I tell you, that you would choose Climax over Bug, especially given the fact that you have talked quite eloquently about how familial and relational horror is the thing that gets you. And I don't, I, I, I simply don't understand how you would, how you would not choose Bug over Climax. So one, relational horror is not familial horror. They're connected, but they're actually very different things, right? So we're going to do we're, different things. Yeah, yeah. But okay, no, they are. But we're going to we're going to do Let Me In, and maybe I'll clarify when we get to Let Me In those those things because I think Let Me In is relational horror, and I think it's much much better than Bug. Um, both Let Me In and Let the Right One In, but we're going to stick with Let Me In the American one. Um, and I we're think that's much better. Let Me In versus. You're right. No, you're right. All right, we'll go to climax. We'll go to climax. Yes, so, so, all right. Well, I'll tell you. So, so the you have this way of deflating movies into their core plot, right? When it's a movie that you don't like. So I could look at Bug and say it's about a bunch of people scratching their skin, right? But that's not fair. That's not an accurate way to to describe Bug. And in much the same way, people a bunch of people dancing and pissing themselves is not a good way to describe climax. Why are they pissing themselves? Well, it's not just because they're on acid. It is a slow loss of control and loss of self. And this is exactly the sort of thing that is present in most of the horror films that scare us in this in, in this podcast. It is a slow degradation of the loss of self. A lot of uh, that makes it scarier than just automatically being replicated and replaced. You get to envision and see yourself lose Shera, lose Noah, lose Jim. You get to feel yourself slip away and you don't entirely know why. A lot of these people don't understand what's happening. The base part of who you are gets confronted in climax. There you are people literally I literally just made that same argument about it's, it's, Bug. But so but so both of these than, well rather the both, than being rather than being yeah. uh based upon an acid trip, the thing in Bug is based upon love, which is universal need. It yeah. turns that got universal it, need into you. a loss of self. I so got the you. thing you're arguing is good about climax is the exact thing that I'm arguing is good about Bug. But, but it's that is that, not the only thing that matters. You're right that the fundamentality of being um, sought after, needed by looking for love, that is important. And I, I think that that's valuable. It's not the catalyst that necessarily matters so much. It didn't have to be acid. You could make a movie in which people lose themselves by various different types of means. But I think the way it's executed in climax is better. Like Ben said, this is very, the, but let this me hold is on. the thing that, okay. Yeah, yeah so I mean, it, the artist chose acid as the catalyst. Oh, no. Well, so well let's chose, not, chose, let's not chose, just write acid off as the I, Well, as But the, I, the only reason I'm saying it is you're saying, well, it's just acid. Well, but it's not the acid that matters. It's not the catalyst that brought the characters into the state. It's the state themselves and how it's reflect. It's important to understand that it's not necessarily the catalyst 
that matters comparatively to how how I think the director takes you where you need to go. So yes, it's acid, but that's not what matters in climax. If you leave yes, climax, it, no, it's not. It, 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 it is absolutely no. so. If no. you have the choice between Why? catalyst, if you have the choice between two catalysts, this artist chose acid and the other one chose love. Which one is higher? Well, that's that's not the only. But if you if you Time limit, is but if Did you limit, oh, wait a minute. If you limit the conversation to the catalyst, you're right. But that's not what matters entirely. It's it's how you get there. The flow, disjointed versus a mumble Corian slow degradation of self. That's did my anyone argument. did anyone change the vote? Oh, I did let's not. Go to chance. Let's go All to right, chance, baby. Let's go to chance. All right. So bug his heads. Down. Bug his heads. Climaxes tails. I, no, I, I will say. I want to see the say... damn. It is fucking heads. Yes. Do you want a shenanigans? Yes. I do. I'm Damn. using my shenanigans. I'm using my shenanigans. Wow. Whoa. I, I, Cli I, Climax is my second favorite horror film of 2019, other whoa. than Midsommar. I got. I got to say, guys. Like, I. I really. I. I understand the the descriptions and like the arguments based on plot here, but I really don't want to downplay the importance of the aesthetic. Um, you know, I mean, like optics are going to be really important to any art form. And I think Gaspar Noe has something incredibly unique to offer to just filmmaking in general. And that can't be downplayed. You know, I, I mean, am... Bug is really interesting, but there's something that it just, I you know, like it doesn't have the quality. It doesn't have the X factor. It. You could argue it next time <laughs> Bug moves on. Noah has used his yeah. one shenanigans. Yep. Um, so we are flipping the coin again. All right, here we go, baby. Let's do this. Get... Uh, I'm... Come on, fate. Give us to me. It is heads. Oh, come on. Come on. I would like to note on my camera, I cannot see what that coin says. It said heads. It said heads. Okay. I trust Jim. I trust him. Even though he uses Bug, straw men. Bug has survived. <laughs> and I am happy for the Will, will it survive <laughs> against that Creep means, That means that Bug is a cockroach right now. <laughs> Bug uh, it's Bug Against Creep 2. We'll give you your your chance to talk about aesthetics and whatever other complaints you had against Bug the next time around, Ben. Your cockroach Man, if, I, if I want to watch Bug, I'll just get some Alex Jones memes on fucking YouTube. Like, that's <laughs> oh, really awesome. That's crazy. <laughs> Shit. Look, I mean, we're shitting on Bug, but God damn, it's so much better than Jaws, you know? I, yeah. <laughs> Clockwork Orange versus Session 9. <laughs> um, Clockwork Orange. <laughs> a film about rape, ultraviolence, and Beethoven. Session 9, a film about cleaning out a creepy place. Uh, ben, what do you choose? Uh, uh, Clockwork yeah. Orange or Session 9? Yeah. So for this one, I definitely think I'm going to have to go a clockwork orange. I'm not the kind of person that really just enjoys cleaning that much. So, you know, I mean, like I, as a fan of Beethoven, I think I'm going to have to pick that one. Shara. Clockwork Orange was my pick. Uh, it's one of my favorite movies of all time, possibly in my top three, maybe even higher. I don't know. It, it varies every day, but it is one of my favorite films I've ever seen. So it, this one's a, a big one for me. <laughs> so, yeah, obviously one session nine. Clockwork Orange for wait what? Oh, uh, it wins over Session Nine. Is that what you said? Wins okay. against. It, oh yes. my god, I had like a heart attack. I was like, wait, what? This is my favorite Clockwork movie, but the other one wins. I was like, ah. <laughs> Jim Noah. Clockwork Orange. Uh, definitely. Somewhere Garrett is dying inside when he watches this. You know, this was Session Nine was his thing. Uh, Clockwork Orange. 
Clockwork Orange it is. Uh, the next film we have, the next matchup we have is Through the Glass Darkly, a film about a bunch of people spending a nice day at a uh, resort, and Raw, a film about eating people. Uh, what do we say, uh, Ben? This one's tough. I really, really enjoyed both of these films, but Ingmar, you know, he's kind of a behemoth, man. Um, there's a lot in Raw that I really wish that we had, honestly, like these, these cannibalism themes. I really want a cannibalism movie within the horror genre, obviously, to make it farther in this bracket. Um, I, I think it explores really interesting moral questions about the differences between animals and people and kind of the ethics of food. And, you know, again, this is one, like, just like with Session 9, I, I really wish that we had Garrett in here for this because I feel like that's obviously going to be right up his alley and something that there are a lot of really interesting arguments to be made with regard to. Um, ah, fuck. Um, so, I mean, with like through a glass darkly, uh, for it didn't quite reach the heights of Seventh Seal. Obviously, we already discussed that during our podcast, but it's still incredible and explores a lot of, a lot of really interesting themes. Um, I think what I what I noticed through a lot of the the films that we choose, just across people, there's this theme of this slow degradation into madness, and you know, you do kind of even get that in Raw, where you have this sort of this like catalyst where this person starts to take on this sickness and then their framework about the world starts to change and then they have to adjust to these very violent sort of changes. Um, and then at the end you get sort of like this resolution that's sort of an anti-resolution because you have this acceptance of this thing that's incredibly negative if you think about it within the moral framework that most people would consider. Um, but with but with Ingmar Bergman's work, I mean, I, f I feel like the topic of divine uh, silence is just so profound and pervasive to my own thinking about the world that it's hard not to weight that over most other philosophical thought you know as it has been said um the greatest philosophical question that exists is whether or not to end your own life right and i mean i think thinking about whether or not life is worth living and what happens after you die is kind of like fundamental to to human nature and the fact that bergman is able to explore that through so many different ways in this particular example, through personal interaction between family members and lovers. Um, it's, it's just a really great film, man. Um, so unfortunately I really, really like raw. I love raw, but I think I'm going to have to give this to through a glass darkly. Shabra. So one of these films has siblings having sex with each other and another has siblings eating each other's phalange, like little baby carrots. It's hard to decide which one's more. Jim loved that one. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's a messed up uh they're both kind of messed up uh but you know one of them definitely is a little bit more escalated uh in in uh, just the magnitude that it puts on your shoulders right like the amount of holy fuck that it puts on your shoulders i do love uh cannibalism though i in films <laughs> In films. <laughs> but I love cannibalism in films. And, and it sucks because I feel like cannibalism keeps losing out against these really amazing films. Even though it's a genre that I think needs to be more <laughs> put out there. But now I'm starting to wonder, do I like this? Or is it just like a... Maybe it's just that I, I'm like not a love of the genre. But I like the genre almost every time. Every time a cannibalism film comes out, I like it. Whereas other films, it could be either way, right? So it maybe it's just a more consistent genre for me. I don't know. But with this, it's super obvious where I have to go. It's through a glass darkly. And 
that kind of sucks because I really liked Ross. Watching this girl eat raw chicken breast out of the, you know, out of the fridge is it's fantastic. I, I watched that and I'm like, what did, what did they use? What did they use? How did they make that? That <laughs> was so cool. Um and of course there's the mirror kissy scene where she's dancing in front of the mirror and kissing herself. That is so messed up. It's iconic. But uh, I, I feel like the voices in the wall and, and the pattern on the wallpaper and, and the one day spiral into madness uh, being taken out with a or taken off into a helicopter. That's so messed up too. Ooh, I have to go through a glass darkly, but I feel like if anybody wants to try to argue something else, they might be able to convince me. I'm kind of on the fence. Through. Through a glass easily for me. Uh, I echo Ben's Bergman love on this one. Uh, Noah. Raw. Raw. You I love a minute. I love through a glass darkly. Look, um, the difference is they're they're similar in the sense of, of 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 a kind of madness, right? So in through a glass darkly, it's a madness that leads to an exit where a person sees things they don't want to see, sees things that are too hard to see can't understand them, can't make sense of them, and they exit, they leave, they go to the madhouse. Raw is about self-discovery and becoming where you have to still stay in the real world and exist. And that speaks to me a little more deeper. It's about self-becoming, self-discovery at adolescence, and a kind of madness. I mean, what is crazier than wanting to eat people around you, everyone around you that you know and interact with, and yet you have to live in that world. Right? You got to live in that kind of madness. You have to find out that thing about yourself. You have to discover that with those around you. So there's this similar vein through f both films. I can't believe I'm going to connect these, and I hope it's not too cheap to do this. But there's a similar vein in the sense that there is a kind of self-discovery of something you don't want to see, you don't want to witness, something that's too hard, something that's too difficult. And I think it's done better, it's done more succinctly, and it's done more viscerally and raw. Uh, did he change your vote, Shayra? There was a lot of meat on those bones. He changed my mind. Oh, so here we go. Uh, ben, do you want to argue Bergman? Okay. Right. I felt like Ben was on the fence. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I was I was really considering it because I want, I want this film to have a shot. All right. Well, hey, who wants to argue with Okay. I, I so, will argue uh, with anybody. Ben versus Noah. Five minutes okay. starts now. Go, Noah. Yeah, so... Uh, Aside from that, I mean, I just, uh, I, unfortunately, it's going to be, I don't know who else I'm supposed to convince, but there's a subjective element to Raw for me that um, is, uh, Through a Glass Darkly is looking through a mirror and 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 it, it's disjointed, right? But there's a clarity of mirror in Raw. She literally looks at a mirror and looks at the face of who she is and sees it clearly and accepts it and becomes it. And that is more powerful. That is more scary, depending on what's looking back at you. And I think there's, so I guess what I would argue is my secondary point is there's a clarity in Raw that is diffused in, in Through a Glass Darkly. Um, and so it just depends on which hits you more. For me, it's the viscerality and clarity in Raw. So I'll leave it at that. That's my, I'll take my minute, give the rest of it. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I think especially with Raw, when you're talking about stuff like that, I, I do understand what you mean with clarity, but it also feel, it feels a little bit like predestination in that theme, too, because, like, it's almost like our main character, and I forget her name, fuck, like, I don't even remember her name. Um, Justine. 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 Thank you. So, uh, yeah, she's Michael sort of, Rowe. like, right, riding the wave of kind of this thing that's happened to her. And so, like, obviously she has to struggle, and it's difficult, but she has kind of like these different influences that just sort of push her along the way throughout the entire time. Like obviously earlier in the film, she's force fed this thing from a rabbit. She has her sister who sort of guides her through the process of eating human flesh or maybe even how to hunt. And then toward the end, like she has her parents who know completely everything there is to know about this and kind of helps her to accept this change. It's all very clear and all very formulaic. And like, I think that's the part that maybe makes it inferior to a Bergman work. And, and that's not even to talk about like the technical merits of the films. Like I, again, like if we go back to that analysis of Bergman's film uh, through a glass darkly, there are, there are, there are scenes in this that are just shot so perfectly that they make you want to cry, I think. And it's just like the perfection of the balance. And maybe that's just a me thing, but I mean, just seeing how things are framed absolutely perfectly, like you just know when you're seeing it, you know what I mean? I don't necessarily know that there are any scenes like that within Raw. Like there are fantastic scenes. And of course, like we do have that iconic mirror scene whenever we see that clear transition happening. And that's amazing from a storytelling perspective, but just from the aesthetic. And again, I am the kind of person that will argue for the aesthetic like we just saw from our climax discussion. I think Bergman has won over on the director of Raw from the aesthetic standpoint. Now, I will say that with Bergman, like I, I do enjoy like all of the themes and stuff. And I think if there is any weakness here, it is just like it is a very mundane story. But again, like maybe that's the entire point, right? Because we all go through these kinds of experiences. We all have trouble thinking about our own lives and like we all have struggles that we go through that are fairly normal. We have family members that go through mental issues. And like, that's something that's very important to a lot of us. Like whenever we have to deal with somebody else and help them because we love them go through this difficult thing that they're going through. And especially when it touches on themes about God and divine hiddenness um, that are so fundamental to the human condition. And not only that, I think it's really interesting as a doctor who fan to see somebody who hears these voices through a crack in the wall. Like we, like we have, who is it like Amy or, or what, mm, you know, whatever Amy it is. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, I think there's some staying power there. And like, obviously like with Bergman, there are themes that sort of get dragged out into cultural importance. So, you know, again, that's not necessarily the most important metric, but you know, yeah. I mean, I think Bergman's film always, always, everything he does leaves a stone in your shoe. It's built like a perfect, it's a masterwork in terms of the visual aesthetic and it has staying power. So like, I mean, all three of the important components in a film to me are present there. I just want to throw out there that uh, with these two films, uh, the reason why I'm so torn is because you have one on the on one hand, you have one that's that's talking about familial issues issues in a way that's like this person is uh, being turned away from something. And then you have another where there's a family where they're all fucked like this. So that's I think the the difference between these two films and mm-hmm. the, their familial issues, you know. Yeah, everyone's everyone suffers in Raw. Every, the sister, both sisters, the 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 mother. I guess the father. Well, the father suffers a lot in Raw. We'll leave that one out. But uh, yeah, uh, yeah, very. I I, t- I take your point, Ben. I I see I see the difference. I think it's just we weigh the clarity of the point being made, maybe versus like versus the yeah. the the quality of the the filmmaking. And the, yeah, I agree. I'm with you 100. percent Quality of filmmaking in Bergman is way better than in Raw. Uh, I mean, it's just apples and oranges. I, I think it's just it, they're different worlds. Um, but, but 
I, I weigh the value of the point of the film, I mm. think, a little more highly on the clarity of self and the dis so discovery versus the removal, like discovery yeah. versus exit. Um, and you could argue that that Corinne becomes something by going to the mental institution. I, I, so that's my that's the counter to my point. But I feel like the onus is on her leaving reality and Justine entering reality and and. So they're just there's different weights, I guess, on those two things. So anyway, yeah. Anyway, sorry. So there. So uh, are we still tied? I'm yeah. through the glass. I'm 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 still I'm still raw. Yeah, Shay Ray raw. Still tied. All right. I'm still raw. All right. Oh, um, oh. Through the glass was rated higher. So through the glass is heads, and raw is tails. Flipping now. It is heads. <laughs> through a glass, darkly moves. Stupid on. heads. I hate heads. That sounded terrible. I yeah. accidentally <laughs> flipped again. Who cares? That's all um, right. So the Good next heads. one, the next one, we've we flipped the coin. So the next one, I <laughs> have the idea. Okay. So uh, that was a mistake on my part. Uh, Jim has that heads only app where it's only it's only well, high. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell you where the coin <laughs> is right. Now. Uh, but wherever the, whatever the next one is, I know what the winner is going to be. Um, so Invitation versus Young Frankenstein. Invitation, a uh, film about a dinner party gone to a cult, and Young Frankenstein, the comedic version of It's Alive! So, Ben, is it alive for you, or is it dead? <sighs> God this damn, that's really a hell of a fucking intro, Jesus this one's really tough. This one's super, super tough, man. I, I like the invitation. I was no, listen, listen to me. Listen, I was, I was really impressed with the invitation. Netflix be bringing the a game. You know, I think a lot of the horror films that they make are surprisingly good. No, no, seriously, Jim. I really. disagree with that, but okay, go ahead. I mean, whatever. Like, I'm I don't give a shit about the Academy. Be... <laughs> <laughs> fuck the Academy. All right. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Hashtag fuck the Academy. Yeah. I mean, Roma, like the invitation is really, really Roma. good. <laughs> anyway, I'm putting that on our Twitter right now. Done. You know, I mean, like Young Frankenstein. I think I think I can accredit that to being my pick. Like, I I, I feel like Frankenstein is more of a share thing. In general, that story is something that she has been championing for a long time. Um, I want to insert Young Frankenstein into that discussion just because the comedy with horror aspect. I think it, it it's really interesting combination. Um. And Mel Brooks does that incredibly well. Now, I mean, we've already discussed that film, The Death, in terms of, you know, some of the jokes maybe are a little bit outdated, but also some of them are kind of timeless. And the humor that we have just sort of interlaced in there and the discussion about how you can sort of change destiny and the importance of taking personal responsibility for your decisions. Uh, you know, that's that's the impact that we didn't see in the original Frankenstein story is that Dr. Frankenstein didn't fucking take responsibility for what he did. And that was his biggest problem was that he never he never gave a second thought to maybe you know why should i do something it's it's the it's the jurassic park question right it's like he was so predisposed with whether he could that he'd never stop to think about whether he should create a, a unique life and throughout the entire sort of course of the story his inability to wrestle with that conversation and that discussion for himself caused all of the problems <laughs> throughout his entire life with regard to like this monster sort of like attacking his loved ones and whatever, whatever um, young Frankenstein sort of puts a nice bow on that story by saying, well, all of this can be resolved 
by taking that personal responsibility and making a personal sacrifice to alleviate those issues. That's really the answer is to sacrifice a little bit of yourself and take responsibility for your choices. Um, the invitation is really, really good. And I enjoy a lot of the dialogue in there. Like just the setup is really interesting. The tension, the horror, um, the fact that they don't give you every little piece. It's not necessarily obvious throughout the entire course of the story. There are little subtleties in the writing that I, I really, really appreciate. All of that makes this this a very difficult choice for me. Um, and so I'm, I'm going to close this by saying that I'm probably going to be really open to counter arguments to this, but my gut reaction is to go with Young Frankenstein off the bat just because that was my choice and I have a, a nostalgic appreciation for it, maybe. So who knows? Young Frankenstein. Shayra? I had these films rated very similarly, uh, but uh, Young Frankenstein was rated a little bit higher. Um, but you have to remember, this is part of, first off, I'm a Frankenstein fanatic, but also, uh, when you think about how I've been arguing a lot of the stuff for years is comedy and horror have similar hits. They hit you in certain ways. They have a certain rhythm to them. And Young Frankenstein shows how that works and how that is so magical, like, you can do horror and comedy together very well. I think the only other horror comedy that really hit me hard was uh, Tucker and Dale versus Evil. I think that one hit me really hard, and and I was just laughing my butt off, but I was also a bit terrified by the situations that were occurring. Um, and, and being able to do that magic balance, that's hard to do. And have solid, good writing, like where you're, where you're like, holy crap, this is going to last for a long time. Like, I'm probably going to be making this joke for the rest of my life. Um, or, you know, being like, hey, check this out. It'll scare the crap out of you for the rest of your life. Uh, so even though Invitation is one of those really highly rated films for me, um, I feel like it's just too bad that I had to go up against this one because, <laughs> like, it's so good. It probably would have beat a ton of these other films but for me young frankenstein is gonna win it over just because of that magic hits for me so i'm gonna go young frankenstein on it sorry i am the <laughs> i see the shaking of the head i am the uh i am the invitation it's a race to the bottom and uh young frankenstein wins uh, so the invitation is slightly better slightly less worse uh noah Invitation uh, or I, 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 this is mark this down. This is I'm agreeing with Jim. Um, oh my God, guys, the invitation. I really hope I can change your mind on this. I'm like really shocked. Um, I'll start. So, so, uh, you know, my God, I mean, it's, it's lit. It's apples and oranges largely in this because, you know, uh, sure. There's comedic, there's comedic value in a lot of the horror movies we discuss us, um, get out a lot, a lot of peel movies. Um, even some Aster stuff in Midsommar, but like to separate them in genres like trauma, grief, pain, being offered a bad choice versus a good choice. These are monumental, um, unbelievably deep existential struggles. And mind you, we're not, I'm not putting this up against the original Frankenstein or Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. I'm putting this up against young Frankenstein, which is largely comedic. And I think I, to me, the young Frankenstein wasn't funny almost at all, but that's my aesthetic. It's not yours. I'm, I'm not shitting on your aesthetic by saying that, but it, it made light of the things that I like so much about Frankenstein. 
um, and the jokes are very outdated. And um, and we've we've had many movies that are not like that that are old. Um, but uh, God, my God, guys! I mean, this is a the invitation is a movie that is is sent whether you're a hundred years ago, five hundred years ago, or today, or five hundred years from now, maybe. Um, trauma, grief, sorrow, pain, struggle. This very it just indwelled ex- part of being a human and how to do that right. How to not let that be something that escalates into, you know, the acceptance of a bad answer being now a paradigm in your life that leads to a mass death, a mass suicide, right? But I think even more fundamentally than that, even if it didn't lead to that, it's still about navigating the world of trauma and grief. Like the shit you see in horror movies, like the lot of the horror films we talk about aren't just about dying or about the way you die, being killed by a shark or a knife or something like that. It's it's navigating what gets you there. That's a lot of our horror movies. Like, but that is then taken, abstracted, taken, set aside, and contemplated in the invitation. It's how should I interpret the trauma in my life that's not killing me, but it's killing me, right? I'm not dead, but I'm alive dead, right? And how do you still survive through that? That is such a, I mean, just the question itself in that is more monumental to me than any of the questions posed or answered or joked about in Young Frankenstein. Yeah, I mean, I totally get that, right? Like, what I what I really enjoyed about the invitation is the fact that we have people who are dealing with some sort of, like, a tragedy. Uh, we know what the tragedy is, of course, um, and coming up with very different answers. And then those answers sort of clash to a sort of horrific, uh, dramatic climax. Um, and it is an interesting story, and I think they deal with that very, very well. Um, it's It's definitely a tragedy. I don't know if it's necessarily all that horrific to me, but then again, like I don't necessarily know if that really matters because Young Frankenstein isn't exactly horrific because again, it's it's within the horror genre. It's a comedy horror, but it's not going to be terrifying. What I find more important about Young Frankenstein again is that, of course, that message of personal responsibility, and so that's something that I think is lacking in a lot of um, a lot of our our art these days and a lot of entertainment. Um, as we've argued throughout the course of this podcast. It really does sort of matter what that underlying message is and how that has an impact on society. And so while I think the processing of grief and trauma is incredibly important and something that a lot of people can empathize with, I think we need a little bit more of that personal responsibility message today. And while this is an older movie, um, you know, some of the sexism, you know, obviously there are some some jokes in there that are just sort of like off color. You know, yeah, the humor itself is going to be a personal aesthetic sort of choice. However... Um, the fact that we take a classic story, a story that isn't really super interesting, like Mary Shelley's original Frankenstein, and then show how that can be resolved through an interesting sequel that is not just sort of a cash grab, like I think we saw with a lot of the Frankenstein series throughout its life, right? Like Bride of Frankenstein, whatever, whatever. You know, a lot of that really just seems like it's taking that original work and just trying to cash out on it because the idea of a, mon- a scary monster that gets pieced together through corpses, you know, it's kind of creepy, kind of scary, kind of class- classically horror. But this sort of focuses on the more important pieces of that. I think there's evidence that Mel Brooks through Young Frankenstein saw the actual important message and piece of the Frankenstein story that Mary Shelley wrote and then took that and gave that a resolution. And obviously, I think that's incredibly important because today we do need more of that um, personal responsibility message with regard to a lot of our politics. You know, again, like I really want to take this back to um, uh, a discussion about climate, right? Like, you know, I think there's a lot of stuff that we want to think that we don't have responsibility for, that we don't have an impact on, that we actually do. And if we were just able to recognize that and to recognize that we do have a hand in sort of like – 
shaping our fate as a species and as just individuals, that would be incredibly beneficial. So, you know, through all the jokes, through all the humor, through all the bullshit, um, I think there really is a beneficial message that maybe we can glean from this horror comedy that just on its surface seems a little bit ridiculous. And that is time. Did anyone's vote change? All right. Um, I have uh, flipped the coin accidentally before. It winded up. It wound up on the uh, lower seed. It wound up on tails. So that means that young Frankenstein. Uh, I am dead inside. I am dead inside. I'm so well, dead inside. Can I, party can I say that the, I, I will try to sum it up really quick, but the, the other reason why young Frankenstein is huge for me is it's the first time I've ever seen a film where they talked about the initial bad choice that somebody made and they tried to fight against it and it, it it was never able to be fought. And that is so terrifying to me. That was actually the terrifying aspect of Young Frankenstein, where he even tried to change his name and say, no, I'm not this guy. And it's like, yeah, you're kind of that guy. That's so frightening. Like, you're trying so hard to fight what is what who is you he? are. All right. Well, speaking of, of fighting against uh, things that are... <laughs> destined to win seventh seal is a movie about playing a, a game of chess against death and it chapter two is a bunch of adults going up against a scary clown uh ben i can't imagine which one you would choose who, who is he it gonna chapter choose, I wonder. two it's chapter two or seven seal <sighs> i won't i won't offer any arguments right now i really did guys like i actually I, I just will take this this moment to say that i actually did enjoy it chapter two quite a bit um james mcavoy is is perennially interesting as an actor and bill Hader was really impressive in his role um just in general it was a pretty good movie right and like having a, a stephen king cameo where he's talking about how people shit on the successful publisher author was really fucking funny I, I can't tell you how funny I found that. Like, it seemed like a little token, whatever, to throw in there. But I feel like his his portrayal of a dude shitting on an author that happens to be successful is probably calling from personal experience. And I really enjoyed that. Um, yeah, I mean, like, obviously, we know what I'm going to pick. Of course, it's going to be the seventh seal. But it chapter two was pretty good. And it deserves an honorable mention, especially for 2019. I don't know. I feel like it was pretty good. But yeah, seventh seal. Shaber? I think it's unfair that it chapter two is up against such a, a powerhouse. Like it's, it seems like <laughs> it seems very unfair, but I did like both films. Um, I actually rate them very similarly. Uh, obviously one is higher than the other though. And so obviously seventh seal. Seventh seal for Jim Noah. So, I mean, this is super obvious, but the seventh seal, I mean, it's, it's the contemplation of death versus the way you get there. It's 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 the concept of the thing you're scared of versus the vehicle that's going to get you there. It's the concept of the thing that's there that you that you're scared of the most. It's it by far wins by far. Seven seven seal moves on. So that's our first round. We've gotten through two brackets, half of the round of sixty four. Join us next week when we get the other half of round of sixty four with such champions as the cabinet of Doctor Caligari, Antichrist. 
hereditary annihilation. Which one moves on? We shall see. Until then, uh, thank you for joining us at the Deadly Analysis Podcast. Tune in next week as we continue our bracket challenge all throughout the month of October. What film is going to uh, to win? We will see. Um, feel free to play along. We have our bracket posted on our website and on our Twitter accounts. And uh, enjoy, enjoy uh, playing along with us. And what wins your bracket? Tweet us, let us know. And uh, until then, have a good night. Not bad.